and brightest day and blackest night. All other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hey everyone, I'm Mark Marble. And I'm Dan Kurtzke. And this is the Lantern Cast! Episode 399! I know, it's almost like you're back for episode 400, but not quite. It's like the prologue to episode 400. It's like, I don't know, it's like you're trying to, to get me out of the way so I don't ruin the big one. It's more like we're trying to push off the big one until Chad, until we know at least Chad can make an appearance. <laughs> so we may have 399A, 399B. <laughs> we, I mean, we, we could just pretend he's there. Like, we could do the thing that sitcoms used to do where, like, like, oh, you know, Chrissy moved away, but, oh, it's the series finale, so she's on the phone. We're not going to show her or let you hear her, but, oh, no, yeah, you just we're going to have somebody hold the receiver to their face and say, oh, no, she says she loves everybody and is really proud of us. Ah, uh, yes, yes, which is kind of funny because, you know, we were talking about Jim's podcast. One of my suggestions to him was... Like doing like best replace like doing like the best replacement characters of all time. <laughs> Not necessarily as in comparing he it wasn't necessarily like you look at the two like the two Darren's on Bewitched and see which one was better, even though that could have been like a first round. I was thinking more exactly since you mentioned Chrissy, I was thinking like Three's Company, how Chrissy how Chrissy became Cindy and Cindy became Terry. Or something like on on MASH when you had, you know, when you had Henry became Potter and Frank became Charles and things like that. Uh, so when they would they would slot in an entirely new character to try and make up for right, a, yeah, not not necessarily. It also included like recasting of the role, like a legitimately more different, like like the two Lionels on like of the Jeffersons, <laughs> things like that. But but I thought I was thinking more characters that clearly were brought on the show to replace a, a character that had left. Um, the one that I always think of because it was such a stark change. Uh, did you ever watch Step by Step? Yes, but not religiously. It was um, so it was like it was a TGIF Saturday night uh, or Friday night uh, 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 '90s sitcom, and they had like the the character of um, you know the cool uncle who lived in his van in the backyard, but then like the actor had to go away. I think he went to jail. So they had to, they just, one day the, the, the cast came out into the backyard and the van was gone and he left a note saying, I decided to drive across country, but then another character moved into their backyard. And it, this time 
It was Bobcat Goldthwait? Oh, God. Yeah, but he was the drug... When he... He was the drug of the moment for a lot longer than you figured he would have been the drug of the moment. Maybe drugs yeah. being the key word, but <laughs> yeah, but it, it was so weird because the guy who was replacing was like was like could have been leading a leading man on like a nine hundred two one zero kind of looking guy, and then you get this like he's like he's like a drunk bulldog kind of person. Like what? <laughs> yeah, those are, but that that that's TV for you. <laughs> Swapping people out, Trapper John becomes B. Trapper John becomes BJ, and and things like that. <laughs> Which Aunt Viv is the best Aunt Viv? Oh yes, things like that. Uh, yeah, that 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 is true. It's like the first one is kind of forgotten on on that show, and it's kind of funny how often how oftentimes some of the replacement characters become either better better appreciated or you just associate those characters and sometimes it's like makes sense because like on mash it makes sense potter and bj are better are, are thought of more highly than henry and trapper because henry and trapper weren't on the show that long you know, that yeah, show ran, like ran forever and and trapper was only on like about like three years or so before wayne rogers left so especially if you're the second one out of the two and then the show keeps going for a number of seasons with you like you're the freshest in people's minds for longer so it's like you're you will probably be remembered first even if you're both remembered that's true that is that is true but but the funny thing is not even though i like talking about this so i'm not saying we stop i'm saying this, <laughs> this is not the actual topic of our episode though though maybe it'll be the topic of episode 399a <laughs> You you people don't me? people don't want an hour more of this. Come on. <laughs> if we actually had organized this better, we probably could very easily get get an hour. Talk talking t- you know talking TV is fun, man. Talking especially when especially when uh, you have a you you think about it or or when you think about spin offs like the best think about best spin offs from from movies or and or shows because my God you have shows like All in the Family and Happy Days and things like that that that. that if you trace like the lineage of how many shows actually like spun off, and you know, even if they didn't last, how many shows had spun off from that original one? The the you know from the from the from the seeds from that tree, it's actually quite interesting. But but it no- seems like it seems like it's safe to assume that every show from that era was a spin off of something because like every time I think one isn't, I realize, oh, no, it actually is. No, yeah, that came from Happy Days. Oh, yeah, no, Laverne and Shirley, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, this? Oh, yeah, that's from over there, yeah. Jefferson, so why not? <laughs> that is, the, the, yeah, the Jefferson, it's, again, me, me, well, this will be good on the timestamp, but we say intro to TV, TV nostalgia, <laughs> that it's it's interesting when you when you think of like the Jeffersons. And the, I mean, it, it was not as in a way, well, I guess it kind of was groundbreaking in its own way compared to All in the Family. But um, it's just funny when you have like a, a spinoff that either lasts longer or as, as long as the like. You look at like Frasier. Not that I ever really watched Frasier, nor did I really watch Cheers. But but Frasier ran a long time. <laughs> I tried to like Frasier. I think it was just like at the time I was like, man, I like sitcoms and here's one. I'm going to watch it. Oh. And it was on all the time. Like that was one of those where like every weeknight they would be like, all right, here's Seinfeld. And then there's Frasier. 
to deal with it. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Some some shows are just not you know they were just never my thing. But it, but I do like yeah I do like spinoffs. I do look at diff, you know have how how the, how things are you know the history of TV and uh, sometimes things big. Some things begin as a skit and ends up they get their own show because of it, or even like Happy Days. I think that Happy Days was yes, it was partially based on like American Graffiti, but there actually I think was a a skit on Love American Style, which was almost like a pilot of Happy Days. Uh, so it so it's just interesting looking at uh, for the way that kind of shakes shakes out. Um, One last thing I want to throw out there before we. Do whatever the hell this is. <laughs> the thing I love the most about this era is, I guess I mean by that, I mean like the 90s sitcoms, is that they would try to do crossovers sometimes, and they were all like, like the one that that I always think about and smile is this crossover between Family Matters and Full House, because it's the dumbest thing imaginable. It's in there because so both of these were on TGIF. They're part of that Friday night block. And I think one aired right after the other. So what happened was like you would have this whole episode of Family Matters that was about some like they were just doing a regular episode. And then the last five minutes, Steve Urkel comes out. He's like, hey, I want to try out this jet pack I built. And you have this like awful 90s special effect of him with a jet pack on zooming into the air out of the neighborhood and then the next step, the, the very next show that comes on is an episode of Step by Step that begins with him crashing in their yard. <laughs> and then he's just sort of hanging out there. Like, like the, and the, the episode of Step by Step doesn't even really involve him. Like, every now and then, he just walks in the door talking to somebody and walks out. It, it, I think he goes home at the end. I don't remember, but it's like, why did you do this? <laughs> it's like, hey, we got Urkel. We have him for five minutes. We gotta make it last. <laughs> we gotta get those ratings. Uh, he might have done his Urkel dance at some point. I'm not sure. See, what we really needed at a different time was Urkel crossing over with uh, Carlton from from the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. <laughs> oh, jeez, yeah. <coughs> Things that those great team ups that never happened. Yeah, the brave and the bold, right there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who'd be brave, but... <laughs> is Carlton and Urkel shocked that Speedy is doing heroin? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. They both would be massively shocked, <laughs> would they not? <laughs> oh, God. So so tell people what we're really supposed to be talking about tonight, Dan. <laughs> well, so I, as I was telling you, over the last couple months, because I have literally nothing else to do, I have been reading a bunch of complete series. You know, I read the entire Simon and Jessica Green Lanterns book. I read the entire Kyle Rayner New Guardians book. I read, uh, like, volume six and seven, I believe, of Hal and the Core, the, the, um, the Zod story arc and the Dark Stars thing. Yes. And, because like when you when you take them like that when you just read one entire book and then go and do the other one like that you're kind of you're zigzagging back and forth within the same decade of green lantern history a lot and it it really gives you kind of like 
like mental whiplash of like, okay, wait, wait, how often did the status quo change for this person and that person and this? And no more so than with Sinestro and the Sinestro core, because it seems like no, every trade I read of every one of these books, they were completely different in terms of like, like, oh, here the battery, the, the yellow battery is on Oa. And here, Arkillo's talking about there being a green impurity in the yellow rings. And I'm like, what is happening? The, the Sinestro Corps has had such a confusing, just fluid status for so long. And I just need to talk to somebody about it. <laughs> Now, mind you, it's been a while since a lot of, we we actually talked about or read any of these issues because a lot of not surprisingly, a lot of the confusion happened in the Robert Venditti era. Um, yeah, that's I mean the good. the last time the last like current thing I remember reading with the Sinestro Corps in it as a group was when when. For some stupid reason, Kyle decided not to tell Sora that her son was dead, and she got mad, and they all flew away. That was, I think, the last time we, as far as I know, certainly in a regular Green Lantern book, that is the last time that we've seen the, the Sinestro Corps as a whole. Obviously, we've seen Arkillo, and we know Sinestro is doing his thing, whatever he's doing in the Justice League, which, not that I've been reading it, but nor have we actually covered, those, <laughs> covered any of those yeah. issues. But the reality is... Yeah, the, the Sora and the Sinestro Corps have gone bye bye since the end of since the end of that arc when she when she kind of gave the payback to uh, Kyle for putting for putting the uh, Green Lantern symbol on the back of Sinestro's back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What was it? Didn't she, did she like brand the the yellow symbol on I him or something? She, yeah, I believe that. I was thinking about this because I know I knew we were going to talk about it because I because that for that very reason that that was the last time. The Sinestro Corps was actually around. That I was trying to think back to exactly, yeah, how, like how how John Stewart out, you know, tricked them into basically make putting the yeah putting the uh, making their rings like not effective against Green Lantern rings or whatever the hell that he did. That yeah, it was yeah, it was. Yeah. But I do remember she she did she yeah she branded him the way Kyle the way Kyle branded Sinestro. You, okay, so John was responsible for that because I think, I think so. it's because it, it's during that Dark Stars arc where like where Guy and Arkillo are in a bar and you know rem remind you of the series that should be but never will and um, and Arkillo just casually mentions like oh you know what well, ever since we got that yellow that uh, green weakness in our yellow rings you know we're not going to help you guys I'm like the hell did he just say what. Where did, the, where did this happen? What does that even mean? Yeah, I don't. The sad part is it's been so long. I don't even. Re, I don't even remember the issue number that that that, that occurred in of how of how Jordan the core. But it was shortly thereafter. Shortly after they teamed up, because they, they because that was part of, part of the the crappiness of it is that they had the idea of these two cores finally teaming up and working together as a police force. And then it's like, okay, we did this for an issue. Let's flush it down the toilet. <laughs> yeah, like that's that's such a dick move, right? Like, like, why, how would they ever trust you if you go by behind their backs and like, like put like put the safeties on their guns without them knowing, or kind of thing, you know? Right, but if I remember correctly, they didn't realize that there was one until it was until the core started splitting apart. 
man. That it was, uh, yeah, it it was. There's 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 no doubt it was a it was a smart it was a smart, but it was not a very, but it, it certainly wasn't a very honorable thing for John Stewart to do. Now, from a self preservation perspective, there's no doubt from self preservation. Yeah, that made sense, but yeah, I still yeah, Sora, Sora was none too pleased about that. Yeah, I still can't get used to calling her Ceranic Sinestro. Yeah, I don't really I don't really buy that either. Uh just like I don't really just like I really don't buy her turning that I can understand her being mad at Kyle. I don't quite understand her you know, completely turning to the dark side. Uh so as quickly as quickly as she did. Uh that was I remember that was one of that was one of my that was one of my big complaints about that that uh it just didn't seem I mean yeah I mean it was really stupid of Kyle to you know to lie to her because of the fact that considering that's the reason why they broke up to begin with <laughs> because, yeah. because of lying about the whole you know who, who, who he was tethered to it's like oh yeah it showed me you <clears throat> but it just and it's not like you can't really see Kyle doing that. You, of course, you could see you could see a Kyle doing that, but the reality is, it was it just was kind of difficult to believe that she'd be so quick to say, "Oh my God, my father was right." You know, just one of those things. It's like, uh, but but it is. I'm, I'm trying to see if I can find if I can find this actual issue as we're talking. It'll it'll come up. Uh, well, I know it was before issues twenty eight and twenty nine. <laughs> It just seems like a weird thing to introduce if you're not going to keep the two groups together and interacting. Because, like, if if the whole thing is, like, like we're making it impossible for one side to fight the other, and then they just go away and don't come back for a long time, it's like, were, like, were they, per- was that purposely designed to write them out for a while? Probably that's that's what I would assume. It looks like it was issue twenty five. Fracture was fracture wasn't a very long arc, but uh, but that was but that was the issue that um, in which they basically went they went there they went their separate ways. But I'm trying to get that I'm trying to get that page um, to see what the the John the John Stewart the John Stewart heel turn thing. It's not really heel turn, but but technically, from the from the Sinestro Corps perspective, it was. Uh, but yeah, uh, so it didn't last for obviously that. Yeah, that was just a mere fact that that's the last time we've seen that we've seen the Sinestro Corps uh, in its in its entirety. There's just something. Really weird about that, but then again, we haven't seen Atrocitus in the Green in the Green Lantern book since the beginning of the of the Green Lanterns. The first. That first. Oh God! Book. Oh God! That was the last time. I believe not counting not counting the like kind of like the bastardized version we've seen in in Morrison's run, like during Hal's Wish Visions or whatever with the Wish Machine or whatever. But but actual Atrocitus that yes, there's a Red Lantern. Oh. In. Oh yeah, yeah. The rage seed or whatever they were planting in Earth. Yes. Okay, that's right. I forgot. Like, yeah, during that um, the uh, the Black Stars 
three issue thing. I think the yeah, Atrocitus was yes, there with Atrocitus, like the Empire of Yep. Yeah. yeah, he is there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it, that bothers me. I mean, but then again, you think about it, it's like the pendulum. The pendulum has swung so far away from the emotional spectrum that now that almost you see almost none of it at the moment. Uh, what you don't. I mean, obviously, the St. Walker's off doing St. Walker things, and at some point, somebody will say, hey, you know, we haven't seen St. Walker in like four years. Maybe we should bring him back. Uh, so St. Walker, so we haven't seen the Blues. Obviously, the Indigos have been off the charts even longer because they disappeared after God, after Godhead. Ever since wow. Uh, I mean, I think they... They, I think we, I think we saw, we saw elements of them after in, in the Sinestro, in the Sinestro book, when Lobo was hunt for going after all the rings and killing all these lanterns, which was garbage too. So, so that might have been the last time we actually saw any, saw the indigo, the indigo tribe. Oh, but you that, know what? But, but that was, <laughs> but, but the Lobo, I'm sorry, the Lobo stuff was before the Green Lanterns book, so so that was still the last time I think we saw Atrocis. You, you know what? I haven't read it yet. But I know Justice League Odyssey has has a Rage Kitty in it, so there's there's a Red Lantern. Also, they also they walked back his death in Lobo, <laughs> so that's nice. Uh, yeah, I I haven't read it either. I, I I'm kind of intrigued <laughs> about it, but I I do have to play catch up with Odyssey. I think we've only uh, we've only covered like the first arc of Odyssey. Uh. <laughs> The first trade. So at some point, yes, I am interested because of to see what was it they're doing with Dexter. I will, I will always have a much like you always have a weakness for Dexter. Dexter is a cool character. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so this, so this, so Sinestro, so Sinestro in general is what we're going to kind of be using the term lately that I've been using, waxing poetic about in different ways. Yeah. Uh, and because, but it makes sense in a way that the jumping off point was that that issue of Hal and the Core, just because that was that was kind of like the point of no return. I mean, because obviously Sinestro had been Sinestro had already been out of that book since the end of the first arc, uh, and he had been um, we hadn't really and Sinestro, we'd actually I don't think we actually saw Sinestro again until that Superman crossover to that Green Lantern. That one issue of Hal, that one issue of Hal in the core, and but I, I think Sinestro was gone at that point. I'm trying to remember which because Sinestro was in the issue, the Superman issue. He was in the Superman issue, but I don't think Hal ever actually interacted with him. And, is it the one where um, Parallax is hiding from Sinestro yes. in, inside of Superman? Yes, because because he is afraid of because of how Sinestro basically used and abused him. He is a uh, he was afraid of basically dealing with Sinestro again, which I think is actually the last time we've seen the Parallax Entity. If we go hmm. back, I think we've – which still, again, talk about things that were just like open, open-ended open and they it, – it always seemed like it would be kind of like a no-brainer that you have, the, you have the Parallax Entity, our Parallax Entity that's mortally afraid of Sinestro. Somewhere out in our universe, we still know the, uh, con- the Convergence – Parallax existed with Hal Jordan being the host. We also know that for what that the Parallax entity seems to like Hal Jordan the best of all the hosts that he's ever had. So you would think the idea of maybe having a double a, a double entity 
uh, host, you know, Hal Jordan hosting two parallax entities at once and maybe going <laughs> against Sinestro would have been an interesting concept. Because if there was one person you would think he would be, the parallax entity would feel confident that could protect him from Sinestro, it would be Hal Jordan. <laughs> yeah. So having a double whammy of Sinestro, of parallax entities, uh, yeah, you would think that would be, that is a story that seems to almost write itself, but yet, but we never, but who the hell knows? We never see anything, we never, this should just be the episode. Storyline, <laughs> characters that we haven't seen or heard of from since, and this is where the <laughs> I mean, some of the stuff I worry that it's been long enough that the next time we see them, the their previous appearance will just be forgotten. Like, like the next time they decide to pull out the entities, are we going to... F- to just brush off the fact of the whole, like, they went beyond the source wall thing. Like, are the entities dead? Was the life entity dead? Because I don't think you can do that without killing the universe, but at the same time, we've also forgotten that Brightest Day made Swamp Thing the new life entity. <laughs> so, I don't know. Yeah, but that got wiped, but that that was, oops, that was that was wiped out in the new 52. I mean, Was it? Okay. Yeah, they, they did not follow... The, they did not really follow up on that on that thread, but yes, he was. You were correct. Swamp Thing was that was the big end of Brightest Day. He was supposed to be the new, the new white entity, which on one level makes sense, on one level maybe not. But it, but at least they had a plan. You know, they did they did have a plan to it. And you know, I always wondered if kind of like regarding the 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 entities, if the same way that. Kyle had, you know, had the, always had, still supposedly has the, at least the blueprints of the Guardians in him that he could bring back. Whether again it's up in the air, whether he could just bring it back himself, or he has to have, or whether he would need Ion in him to be able to do it again. That you know how the Guardians told him, hey, as long as you know you're, you're, you're the you were the torchbearer, you still will are the torchbearer, and if we got wiped out again, you can as long as you're around, you can bring us back. That maybe Parallax, you know, the the ent- they they purposely kept an entity out on purpose because as long as one entity is alive, you could still bring back more. Even though we know from a storytelling perspective, they only kept Parallax out so they could use him in the Cullen Bunn Sinestro <laughs> book. That's what and I'm meant. and I'm not I'm not opposed to the idea of of picking up the ball that got dropped with the Rage Seed because that whole thing was hey, Atrocis is like our our entity is gone. We're weak without it. Let's let's incubate a new one. Like I love the idea of like like let's set up these specific conditions where we can birth a new entity for whatever color. Like that's awesome. Like I don't know. It could take however long they want. To, they could they could put whatever storyline around it they like. But like it's it plays in the space of like the cosmic metaphysical junk that that Green Lantern explores sometimes. Yeah, I would be fine with that too. I, I would be fine if they created if they created new entities. That would. The only thing that does stink about it is we know so many of the entities were barely explored to begin with. <laughs> yeah, they barely touched. I mean, we literally saw Adara go into that go into that chick like for like about half an issue and then that and, and that was it and it's like yeah because you see her for that issue happens and you're like oh well clearly this is this is a jumping off point for like a mini series clearly i mean if this was the 90s we would be getting like 150 pages about this lady later god but no 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 <laughs> yeah she seemed like she seemed like a cool character it seemed like it was gonna but they just they just chose not to go that way and 
basically we we found out relatively quickly the whole point was just the whole point was to show us all the to show us the, all the entities briefly and what they kind of did if they when they were possessing somebody just so friggin Krona could rip them all out and <laughs> well I, th- I think the problem is that the the entities they never got to be the i mean with the exception of of uh parallax the entities never got to be the focus of their own story they were just like a utility in other stories like the the entities were never like like the whole thing with like seeing adara and everything like there was never a story about adara it was a story about krona and krona using the entities like the entities were they were basically rings for all intents and purposes. Yeah, that's true. And, they, and so when they, when they introduce these, char- I mean, for, let's be honest. A lot of the a lot of the characters that we saw host these entities ever so briefly, we didn't care about. But you know the 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 idea. I think Nicole. I think it was Nicole uh, who was the host of Adar in that in that issue. It's like it seemed like. <laughs> Okay, she was cool, cool. The blue entity is cool. The blue lanterns are cool, and it's like okay, and it's like hey, guess what? Boom. <laughs> and it, it especially sucks because you think like, oh, okay, we're going. We haven't seen much of the blue lanterns. I know there's only a handful of them or whatever, and they don't get to do much stuff. But hey, we're actually introducing a host for their entity, and like so now we're kind of bolstering their ranks. Maybe we got a plan to use them, and then actually no, that's not what we're doing at all. But it's I don't know. That's why I think if we if we had to to create brand new ones from scratch now, it's an easy ground floor, you know, we're going to treat these as characters for the first time, and like, <clears throat> like both them as a being, and also whatever host they get paired with, like, not necessarily like, make them main characters of their own books or anything, but like, like, there should be, like, one or two of them involved in like each story arc or something just so we can see them get fleshed out and explored because so much of like what we love about these things is is thinking about what could be and what never got delivered on yes i think that i think when we look back as as good as the as good as the Jeff Johns run was, in my opinion, in many people's, but not everybody's opinion, that we all know there are a bunch of there are there are also a whole lot of what ifs and what could have beens, and not just because he didn't answer all the questions that he that he hit that he told us he was going to, or he he opened the door to answer these questions or plot points, and then just conveniently, you know, switched switched gears and never went back to it. It's just the fact that there's there were once we once. Once we got past Blackest Night, it just in in bright, even in Brightest Day, because in bright, I mean, part of the <laughs> Brightest Day, at least Green, Green Lantern was related, was 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 interesting. I mean, the, the whole idea of the entities being, which they actually technically we know the Parallax was kind of he he was wrangled uh, during Blackest Night because it was, it was right after uh, Hal was you know when Parallax was pulled out of Hal and what Green Lantern fifty. 50 and 51 or whatever that that's those issues that that's when Krona grabbed Parallax. Yeah. So they were so they were setting up they were setting up you know the the entities and basically setting up the war of the Green Lanterns all <coughs> which was the big payoff for in the from a Green Lantern perspective from Brightest Day. But the setup was kind of cool especially in the beginning when you you know when you when you still don't know which which guardian this is and and everything else and it's like 
what you were hope just like the the premise of this. What what are you going to do with the entities? Then you real then when you're heading towards War of the Green Lanterns again. That even that could have been. And my like I think I mentioned at the time in my mind's eye that would have been cool to do something more along the lines of what Gerard Jones wanted to do for Emerald Twilight, literally having two two opposing sets of uh, the Green Lantern basically split down the middle, yeah, being, being loyal to whoever the two opposing leader leading factions or leader of the factions were that they were diametrically opposed, so there literally was a war by choice, and then when they when we got like. More of this mind, you know, p- parallax mind control stuff. It just seemed like uh, that was that to me was a that to me was a big letdown of, <laughs> in war in war of the Green Lanterns. Uh, having having the other the corpsmen, you know, taking on be, taking on different rings because they couldn't use the green because they'd be mind controlled and things like that. That was fine. It was. It was a little too easy for them, but I guess like you had to keep it moving at a brisker pace than would be necessary to really, like, delve into, like, all right, how do I make this thing work? Right, and especially, that, like, Kyle, like Kyle being blue, the fact that, you know, kind of like when, when, when he and Ganthet are able to talk and Ganthet points out, hey, you're, really, you're not ready for this. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's uh. like, you were hinting at this, and you were like, no, I really wasn't. It's like, the point, it's like, it's like, it's kind of like, Luke, after like spending like half a day, half half a day with Yoda, it's like you need a little bit more seasoning before you're ready for this. It's like uh, because. But I didn't teach you how to. No, no, no. I got it. I got it. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> that's why it was beautiful because it's because re- it was real and kind of it's in a way it's also Kyle. The fact that the biggest pro- remember when Kyle was like automatically amping up the, the greens because he couldn't control that aspect of the blue yeah. power. It's like I don't want to do this. And of course, if you had learned how to use the ring, even though it is a default of the blue of the rings, there probably was a way to you know to work around that and turn it off. But because he he didn't even have an owner's manual for the ring, it's like oh this thing is just doing whatever it wants to do, uh, which oh, was God. funny. But it's like yes, it's like. It's like those things that you learn about the capacity of the ring, like when Saint Walk, when Sinestro, speaking of Sinestro, when he basically <laughs> when he recruited Saint Walker to join him, to help on you know to help join his core and unlock the power of more powers of his ring, and then when you realize basically that yes, the Blues could really, we already knew the Blues could amp up pretty, we knew the Blues could amp up the Indigos because we saw that in Lights Out. <laughs> yep. So there was every reason to believe that they could amp up. Uh, the sapphires too, because they're all on the same side of the emotional spectrum. But we learned that yes, that thanks to that whole experimenting and torturing, unfortunately, of Saint Walker, which he seemed to take pretty well, <laughs> considering uh, maybe because Saint Walker is a, uh, a big picture kind of guy, and, and the knowledge that he gained from it was worth the pain. The fact that we learned that oh, he's capable, ca- he's capable of amping up the yellows too, which pretty much gave you more or less put on a silver platter the, the blues. Under the right circumstances, probably can amp up every single core of the emotional spectrum. Well, I think I think it makes sense because I'm trying to remember, but I think way back, like back when they were first introduced, and Hal was like shocked that his ring hit 200% for the first time. Saint Walker said something like, "You know, as long as we wish for your success or whatever, that we'll be able to buff you." So it made it made me think like, oh, so. As long as they actually want you to succeed, they can increase your power no matter what ring you have. And like the torture and experiments done by Sinestro 
were able to kind of bypass that that uh, deadlock of oh Saint Walker has to want it to happen to just oh now we 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 figured out how to turn on the feature that makes it happen so it can boost us even if he doesn't want to. Well, yes and no because remember it's, it's not like Saint Walker just was. It's not like Saint Walker was amping up the yellow yellows when he he didn't want to. He still was choosing to. In, in that story arc when they were fighting the paling, I think I think Saint Walker if Saint Walker was willingly ch- charging up the yellows, it's not like they put him out in a. It's it's not it's not like he was like in a like a regeneration matrix like the the Eradicator just siphoning off power from <laughs> from Superman just because of the fact that he need he was his battery and he needed it Saint Walker. So I agree with some of what you're saying i think i think what it was is that simply some things we know are defaults in rings and some things are not defaults which doesn't mean that they're not they're not powers that can be can't be learned it's just that you have to like remember when mongo got his ring and he sat there for like the 96 hours or whatever it was for the ring to tell him every single capability that it had in him because he literally had nothing he had plenty of time so he said tell me every tell me everything you can do which obviously, yeah. technically speaking, it still really didn't because it didn't have that Sinestro <laughs> failsafe that he, that he used, that Sinestro used against him. But I think all ring, most of the rings are probably like that. So the Blue Lanterns are defaulted to be able to amp up the greens because they're supposed to have a symbiotic relationship. But like when Saint Walker made that statement about, oh, as long as I, you know, as long as I, you know, as, as long as I have, you know, I wish it to be so, or I have hope. And I will never stop hoping Hal Jordan or whatever. The reality is that's because it's, it's a choice that he's that he's saying that that it seems to me. I, even when, when it first happened, I read it that by reading the way he's saying that, if Saint Walker really didn't want to amp him up, he could stop it. But that's also because Saint Walker is the only one of the of every Blue Lantern that existed at the time. You know, Saint Walker was probably the one that had more had more knowledge of the abilities, even though. That's the benefit of the smaller core. It's like when you only had six or seven people, that it was easy. That it was probably easier for everybody to at least understand what what their default powers were. And there may have been obviously the you know, the whole yellow thing was something that we never uh, knew about, and maybe Saint Walker never knew about clearly either to start with. But that could have been one of those things. Well, those pesky guardians are conveniently hiding information. I wonder how much of it is a limit of the user too, because like. I know, but for a while there, the only interaction the blue light had to yellow was that it would actually decrease their yes. charge. So, which is probably the default. Which is probably, I think, the default. Probably <clears throat> the default of, of the, the blue lantern ring <clears throat> is to, to is to take away the, the yellow power like it is to charge. Yeah, but so. it it also makes me wonder, like, like if if they have the ability to amplify all these different rings. Does that mean that they could also turn them down too if they wanted? Except that, as like Saint Walker isn't the kind of person to stop believing in you, so he would never actually, actually, actively depower you. You know? Yeah. No. I, yeah. It, it would be interesting. It would be interesting to see if he could depower any of the po- of the positive "quote unquote" side of the spectrum. We pr- we can believe that we already know he's, he they've already pow- the blues have already powered up two of the th- two of the three uh, other po- you know we know green's technically in the middle but we we we, we view green <laughs> green is good. 
that he's powered up two of the three other green positive cores. The blues and the blues have powered up the greens, and they powered up. It was it was it was Kyle, right? Kyle and or Indigo one in lights out because they were able to get the hell off of. Uh, it wasn't Odom because Odom Odom oh, already destroyed. Oh, at the at the very end when everybody was about to die in space. Yes, they that- yes they amped them up so they could so they could so they could leave that world that relic that relic was destroying whichever. What the hell was their second home world? Um, that that was um <clears throat> that was um 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 I forget the name of it, but um that was Warth amping up Kyle. Okay, that's what I thought. Yes, but yes, when Kyle was using his indigo, he used the indigo power of his as a white lantern to, to teleport them out of there. Uh, yeah, so it would be interesting to see if they could drain power from the positive sides or. Uh, but the, to me, not clearly, as I've stated too many, too many times for some people, probably the blues to me are the most are so interesting, and they've been so underdeveloped and underexplored. Because uh, if that was if there were going to be two cores that were naturally suited to work together, it was the blues and the greens. Yeah, I mean, because you don't because it's not because <laughs> it's not like you it's not like you need you know a lot of greens to be next to a blue, or you don't need a lot of blues to get to get the benefits from if you're a whole bunch of Green Lanterns. <laughs> so, uh, it just seemed like... But yes, as as we're talking, there's so many of these cores have just gone by the wayside, and uh, you just... It's just in... At least, I mean, at least Lorfleet had a, lead, a... He had a little bit to do with the Hal in the Core series. Uh, much like Ep- Black Hand, obviously, had, you know, Black Hand shows up mm-hmm. here and there, but... It's just weird how so many of the cores have have gone by the. Now you read the whole Hal Jordan. In the, did you read all the Hal Jordan in the core? Not all of it. Like I read it, like when it started, I I read it up through um up through I guess the end of the relic stuff. Oh okay. And then I stopped, and then I just recently read the Zod and Dark Star stuff. So I don't I don't know what in there I missed, or if there's even that much I missed, but uh. Yeah, it was, it, you know, it's funny, especially those later volumes, it felt like like the comic equivalent of, like, a Green Lantern Michael Bay movie, <laughs> where bad. it's like, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna do, like, the larger-than-life, like, like, military action kind of, uh, kind of fight thing, and we're gonna have lots of, like, like, lots of spectacle, even if the stuff that goes on doesn't make the most sense, but hey, at least it looks kind of neat, you know? <laughs> right. I th- I don't think that's... I really don't think... Elpis. Elpis was their second homeworld. Uh, maybe the third time will be the charm. Uh, <laughs> that... What bothered me in the beginning, even though the, the Venditti run on Hal and the Core was better than his Green Lantern run, but that first arc's that first arc irks me still, because you have Sinestro where where he was left at the end of the Cullen Bun run. It's like he's gotten everything he ever wanted. It's like he's he and the Sinestro Corps are the only police force in the universe. People are openly embracing them as basically, hey, we're happy that you're here. <laughs> you have heroes. You have, you have heroes who normally thought, oh yeah. You, couldn't trust Sinestro at all. Even like Wonder Woman and Superman, kind of look taking a different look 
at Sinestro. It's like, hmm, maybe there's a little more there than we thought. Yeah, Super- ki- go ahead. Superman's like, like Sinestro's the only one that didn't make fun of the T-shirt I wear now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have Arkillo, who is who is in, who is lo- loving being embraced as a hero, which was an interesting aspect of his personality to try to explore, since that's. And and being having the opportunity to team up with Saint Walker, who who is who is his buddy, who even <laughs> that they have nothing in common, but it's a, but it's one of those Oscar and Felix things that just works, and the fact that he knows that he the fact that Arkillo even apologized to Saint Walker is like I it's like at first I'm like I didn't know what they were doing to you when they were torturing you, but then I did, and I still and I I'm I'm sorry I should have done something, and our Saint Walker's like yeah don't worry about it that they have all this set up. For like this gr- in a great place, then they get the beginning of the of the the arc and hell and the core, and boom! It's like, oh, here's my master plan. In two seconds, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna just all this positive all this positivity. I'm gonna take a big steaming dump on the universe, and and it's like immediately, and it's like I'm gonna make everybody afraid of me, and it's like. God. It made no. I mean, we knew there was going to be literally a heel turn for Sinestro at some point because it's Sinestro. He's going to, even if it's a heel turn by crossing the line somewhere. Yeah, I mean, do that. Go, go ahead. I'm I mean, his his name is the word sinister, and yes. he looks like the devil, so he's got to do it at some point, right? But but it's still, it's like it's like everything's great, and then Colin Bunn kicks your door down, comes into the house screaming, "Stop being happy!" Well, Vin Diddy. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's been Diddy. Colin Bunn left it in a happy place. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But uh, but yes, um, I it's just one of those things that always bothered me because it's like it, because because it make it make no sense. It's like you've got it's like you've gotten what you wanted. So why would you do why would you do that now? It's like why would you? Oh, I'm gonna start grabbing all these kids and just forcing them to feed my fear engine. And it's like oh my, it made. It made so little sense at the time. It's like this is your one shot. You know, this is literally your one shot for everybody to embrace you. And hey, you know, he, he was right, and the Guardians were wrong, and he had the ultimate redemption arc in Sinestro's head, at least, because it's like I've proven my vision of the universe is is not only successful and better than the Guardians, but the universe is embracing it. See, I told you I was right. And it's like, oh, I'm gonna flush it down the toilet immediately, and it's like, and then and nobody had any problems with it. I mean. I mean arc- if- if, it, if anything, this is the point where they should have taken a break from the Sinestro core. Like, let like they Sinestro achieved his life stream, and now we've we're let's let's just leave that alone. Reestablish the, the Green Lantern core by telling smaller stories for a year or so, and then check back in and like show us like like oh actually there's there's cracks in the armor here. There's there's problems that Sinestro never first saw, and it's chipping away at everything he's built, and have that, like, cause him to kind of, like, like revert back to his old ways a little more than he even realizes he is. And, like, that can be the slippery slope that gives us, like, like evil terror-fueled Sinestro again. Especially because the dynamic, there was such, again, when you have an interesting dynamic and you don't take it all the way, or you only touch, like, you literally touch the surface, but there was so much more to dig out, that that it just seems like it's a wasted opportunity. Because in that situation, you had the Green Lantern Corps, who was sucked out of the universe and brought back, and of course, they still, in the actual issues, they still never told us. (laughs) 
they still didn't tell you know tell us you know who who did it and 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 any and anything like that. But you have the Green Lantern Corps coming back, fully expecting to be coming back, and it's like okay, we're back. We're, everything's the same as it was when we left. It's like, what do you mean it's not? <laughs> what, what do you mean? Get to the back of the bus? What do you mean? It's like these guys. It's like the, nope. These guys have kind of taken your role, and guess what? Everybody is happy that they've taken your role, and nobody's in a hurry to bring you back. That's because of all the times you screwed up, and all the things you didn't do when you should have done, and vice versa. We're we are we're happy with these guys for now. We want to see how these guys. So you're so if you want to ex, if you want to exist, you have to coexist with them. You know, so that that was an that was the to me that was the interesting way to go. Not oh, the Green Lanterns are back, and just as soon as the Green Lanterns are back, Sinestro's being a jerk. It's it's kind of it's kind of like the same way, but which I've talked about too with the at the end of the the run with the with the Dark Stars, in in that in that book. It's like the Dark Stars. Okay, you have you know when when Matomar two, you know, you know kill kills his uh. His uh, opposite number there for accurately boasting, "Hey, you can arrest me, but you know I'm just going to get out. When I do, I'm going to kill more kids." It's like that's a good point. Boom, you're dead. That they open the door for okay. They open that door for that philosophical debate about what about the two forms of justice and what is justice. It's like is Batman really morally superior because he doesn't kill, or is he culpable and an accessory after the fact to all the other people that get killed and damaged and hurt? From all these criminals that he could take care of and stop permanently, but he left, but he doesn't do it, and they get out and they keep doing the stuff over and over and over again. It's that kind of debate that could have been that, that could have been a philosophical debate between the Black Stars and the Green Lantern form of justice. But but they had but they had to go from the Black Stars going, oh, we're going to punish these murderers, and then one issue later, you're jaywalking, sentenced to death, and that just and, and again I. It just 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 didn't work. It's like there was. I think I thought there was a deeper story to explore there, and that's why I tried to pump Robert Venditti when we had our interview there to see if he would bite, but he didn't. So I had to quickly move away. <laughs> it's like because he didn't because he didn't really see that there was another, or he didn't ever entertain, which was the ultimate question. But did he ever entertain the idea of telling that story differently and so, instead of making it a little less black and white? These guys good. These guys bad. Maybe a little more gray area. A little more parallax esque about okay, what they're doing may not necessarily be right, but the but the the method to their madness is worth looking at, and maybe there's what they're really the greater goal they're trying to accomplish. Maybe it's not as you know. Maybe there's a little more to it than just oh, they're just insane murderers. That story drove me crazy because, like, like why? If you're going to take a completely black and white approach to it, why even tell that story? Especially since it seemed like you didn't want it, like, uh, not want, but like, like all throughout it, there were hints of of Hal trying to struggle with, well, is it maybe it is okay to kill the bad guys sometimes? But every moment of that came completely out of nowhere like he would just be standing there talking to somebody about something completely different and then just say you know sometimes i think maybe we should take care of things permanently and then it, that that's just kind of it and like the entire conflict of the the story is is one side that says that is that is a hundred percent for it versus the other side that is a hundred percent against it and they just keep yelling those viewpoints at each other until the one that's for it loses. Like, 
what's the bo- what's the point of having like a moral dilemma if you're not going to actually treat it like one? I agree, and I think I that's why that was another story that started off really well, but it didn't it didn't end particularly well, regardless of and the idea of you know bringing in Zod and and Orion and all that. It's like I don't know, but. Yeah, it was it was one of those things where okay, they were setting it up because Tomar was a good character for this. Tomar obviously had been through so much from you know being you know being a lost lantern and having to get over you know his his negativity towards Hal after what Hal did to him in Emerald Twilight and 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 after being rescued from Cyborg <coughs> Superman and watching most of the Lost Lanterns buy it over the course of of and the and the Johns era and everything else and it's like okay. It's like you have this moral dilemma. It's like Tomar did what he did because the point, because the the point the bad guy was making to him was a pretty legitimate point. It's like you know you're not going to keep me locked away forever, even if you want to. And when I get out, guess what? I'm going to kill more kids. I'm going to ki- kill more Zudarian kids. It's like and get and guess what? You really can't do anything about it. It's like well, no, I can't do something about it. It's like it, it's like it's like. It's like the debate about capital punishment, whether it's a deterrent or whether it's not a deterrent, and whether you you are you can argue whether it is or it isn't based on the way the legal system works, you know whether it could be more of a deterrent if the legal system didn't make it so almost impossible, rightly or wrongly, make it so impossible for somebody who gets a death sentence to actually be put to death within like fifty years. The point is that there's a the thing that really can't be denied about a capital punishment is. At least you know that person's not going to be doing something again. That or, threat of that individual is done. <laughs> or hell, like it's an, you have you like, uh, some of these dots that don't get connected. Jesus, like so the Tomar's whole motivation was that I had to kill him because he's killing Zudarian children. And at the same time, like, there is, like, down the hall, there is a Green Lantern who, for some reason, is a Zudarian child. Yes. Why didn't, why didn't these two people, like, why didn't these two characters talk to each other ever? Like, like, why, why? Why? I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's frustrating. And it's just especially frustrating because if we're not going to focus on, like, the Spectrum stuff or any of the, the lingering questions of the Johns era, and we're going to focus entirely on the Green Lantern Corps. Okay, you know what? Fine. There's tons of stuff we can dig into there, but you have to actually dig. You, you can't just like tell these like like super surface level stories. They're kind of pretending like they're saying things when they're actually not. No, I I I agree. I think that, and you, we think, and there's just. Those those are the things that were, like I said, in, in a way, it kind of book it kind of bookended it perfectly because I thought the first arc of Robert's run on that on the Hal and the Core book was frustrating for the for the reason that it was that Sinestro was smarter than that. He was smart he was smart enough to know to play a little longer game, and that was a kind of besides the fact it was kind of a stupid end game for Sinestro anyway. I think mean, he could <laughs> Sinestro would aim. I, I I think Sinestro would have a little bigger. Endgame than, than than that, but the fact that it happened so fast, it just ruined that first that arc for me. Considering that the Cullen Bun, you know that that book, that that Sinestro book was pretty much inarguably at the time, but let's just say arguably was the best Green Lantern book going. 
Oh yeah, but it it's, ended. It's one know. of the. I think it's one of the best Green Lantern runs out there. Yes, I think I do too. And so, and obviously he had he had enough sway that they lit, that they literally changed as <laughs> like they they literally changed Robert Venditti's book. You know because he you know and by take because he need they needed to get the Green Lantern Corps out of there uh, because that's not where the Hal Renegade storyline was originally supposed to go. I mean the whole point of him going Renegade is basically so he's an outcast and he's against the Corps and the whole Corps disappears. It kind of was pointless. Uh, so it but yeah had book and it, in the end of it with with the Dark Stars thing was just it's like again it's like you said it's like if you're not going to explore that deep philosophical issue or the debate between the, the two philosophies of of justice and law enforcement then 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 why then why do the story then why i agree with that completely it was very nicely put then why why even enter go why do you go down that road if you if you're gonna like make the first right you know when you're 50 feet down the road as opposed to following the road where it takes you it's like yes at some point you know down the road it's the green lantern corps point of view is going to be proven correct because it's the a green lantern book but it doesn't have to be so black and white. And, they, and just like there could have been more of a middle ground they could have agreed upon, it's like, hey, it's like the, black, the Dark Stars agree, hey, as long as these guys are in your custody, we won't do anything. But the minute they're out of jail, all bets are off. They could have started working on things like that. So we're not going to be going into your science cells and killing your prisoners, or we're not going to be going to we're not going to be going to these other prisons on the, these different planets and killing people. But the minute these guys are free. They may be your jurisdiction, or your by your definition of a law of law, they may be free to go, but they're not out of our jurisdiction, and we're not, and they're not beyond our justice. So there there are things that could have been done, but again, that's not the story he wanted to tell, and which is obviously his right because he was writing the book. But it, I don't think it made for the more interest. It wasn't to me. It wasn't the more in, the most interesting take that could have been that story could, that could have been done with that setup. I did really like the idea of of bringing back the Dark Stars and having them kind of rise up and take over their own organization and like subjugate the controllers. Like, like that's that's like a like I kind of hoped that they would still exist as an organization after this arc in some form, just because like I don't know I I like the idea that the Green Lantern Corps isn't the only game in town, you know. No, I and 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 it, and it was a nice kind of like rolling back the clock because we've had so many, you know, emotional spectrum cores, and then you go back to the Dark Stars who legitimately were, you know, pretty much the first real rival, you know, rival Justice Corps uh, in the in the Green Lantern universe, certainly in modern times. I mean, as we know, John was part of you know part of them, John Stewart. So it's it and. Turning the Dark Stars into something into less of a joke and something really le- legitimate, and it was it's it's always poetic justice when it, when you know the, the the controllers you know get get their comeuppance because they are I mean they make they make the they make the Guardians look rational and, and likable and 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 not egotistical. <coughs> controllers are just they're just so so all over the map. It's like that like even like when they went to Okara in the Agent Orange storyline and he just just decimated this one some came to the planet he just killed he just killed them like in three seconds yeah <laughs> uh but yeah the controllers are they're definitely like the uh the ugly the ugly red-headed stepchild of the uh Malthusians <laughs> <laughs> man uh you know it's funny 
because we you mentioned it early on in this, but uh, the one place where we're still seeing emotional spectrum stuff kind of sort of played with is with Sinestro right now. Because I read that first... Um, I, ultraviolet violet stuff. Yeah, like the first arc that introduced the concept of the ultraviolet lantern. And like, it's it's a really weird... It's really weird, but it's also kind of interesting and creative. Because like, the whole idea of it being ultraviolet light. So it's light that isn't normally seen. So it it deals in emotions that are usually like like not visible like like shame and guilt and it's like a more manipulative like gets under your skin and controls you kind of kind of power and i like how the ring is is not a physical object it's kind of like a like a glowing tattoo on your finger yes yes that was that it was a that was an interesting <laughs> take i still think the only thing i've actually read so far of sinestro using that power with that was the one shot that Sinestro one-shot that they did as an ultraviolet lantern, which I don't even remember what it was part of now. Like, yeah, like, so they, um, I forget what it was called. It was one of their, like, you know, every villain gets a one-shot kind of things. I don't know. I just, I'm surprised that they've stuck with it so long. Because I remember, I I thought that concept was going to go away by the end of that Justice League story, but it's been, it's been a few years now. And, and I think I, I saw... Uh, the cover of that um that Superman issue where like here's how all the villains react to Clark Kent's identity and there's Sinestro glowing purple with his so like he's it's been years and he's still an ultraviolet lantern like that's crazy to me. You're the villain. That's what it was. The one shot was you're the villain. Um, hmm. Looking at it, that was actually that was last summer. Actually, we we did that, so it must have come out sometime. Around that time, it was in August. We did that. I just, it, it, it is interest, and it's also interesting that with all the stuff that's going with Sinestro, it's just it's just the fact that we don't, you know, he still hasn't shown up in a Green Lantern book. In yeah. our green, you know, it's which is it's like the pen, it's like the pendulum, and this is what I was thinking: you know, how how far the pendulum <laughs> swings back and forth, and it's like he he he's doing his own thing over, you know. With Lex Luthor and the Justice and 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 the J, and the J you know JL book previously and things like that, and we don't see him pretty much you know in the green in the in Green Lantern for for years now really other than yeah. other than some of the Morrison alternate version Sinestro crap which is not our Sinestro yeah like they're leaning into him as like as a Legion of Doom Sinestro more than right. Green Lantern villain Sinestro which I mean. Just add that to the list of reasons why I can't wait to see what happens after Morrison's second year is over. <laughs> because there's so much like like when I think about when I think about the stuff that Jeff Johns introduces, like he Jeff Johns seems like the kind of writer that if you give him a year as a, like you give him a run of a book that has twelve issues, he will come to it with three years worth of ideas and cram in as many of them as possible, which is great as long as you're like building up to stuff because there's always that that ever present like promise of oh th- th- this will get explained later and then they just you just run out of time or commitments change and responsibilities shift. And like the, we get left like with all these like balls in the air that never came down 
And, or, or, they, or they do come down, but they land with a thud. <laughs> yeah, they come down and they break somebody's windshield because it, actually there are rocks. But, but um, um, still waiting on that Rage Kitty Valentine's Day issue. Um, yes. <laughs> but like or, when I or, yeah, or a crypto right and stuff like that. Oh yeah, or like wasn't he gonna fight Blobo's dog or I don't know. Um, but uh. Like, when I think about where we are right now and how it's been so long since the emotional spectrum has been a thing at all and how we haven't seen Sinestro in the, in the Lantern book in forever and all, and like how it's, it's just like, like Morrison's love letter to the Silver Age and, and just exploring the all green all the time. As soon as there's like a major creative shakeup, like I feel like this could be the floodgates opening back up again, you know? Like we're not necessarily going to get payoff for all of the lingering questions that are left going, but I feel like that would be the time to start bringing back in like, hey, here's where the Sinestro core has been. Hey, here's Here's, you know, the latest power struggle shakeup on Zamoron. Here is what Larflees has been doing. Like, like somebody else, like, the whole pendulum thing is accurate, because, like, everything that they've been doing has ignored enough, like, a large enough chunk that eventually they're going to have to go back to it. And I feel like we must be getting close to that. You would, th- you would think that you you would think that, not just with the emotional spectrum, but but again even Sinestro, uh, because it's funny because before, pretty much, you know, you go back to vo- volume three of Green Lantern, the whole Gerard Drums event, you know, handing the baton you know, to Ron and and Daryl, Sinestro was such a non-factor in that entire that entire volume. He really wasn't. I mean, he was he was pretty much absent, I think, for almost the entire run, except for Emerald Twilight. I believe. I don't think he was in it. I don't think he was the major villain in any arc. In during. wait, in the Ron Mars Daryl Banks era. Well, bef- the, in, the well, the the Gerard. Oh, well, oh leading up the to the Gerard yeah, yeah. drones led into that. That whole volume. That whole volume till basically it started with Hal. Hal and Guy and John in the core being like almost out of core with old, old timer going nuts, and ending with Kyle's book, you know, leading into rebirth. That Sinestro was like a non-factor. He really was. He was not really a, an important character. Uh, so, and then you have, and yes, technically it was in the Emerald Dawn and Emerald Dawn Two that really played up the whole oh. Which was not the way it was in the Silver Age. The idea that oh, how that basically how Jordan and Sinestro have a reverse Obi Wan Anakin relationship. Yeah. Except it's the, it's the teacher that's the bad seed and and is is and it gives it to the dark side, but not to, and the student is, is straight is straight laced and by the book. That that's not the way it originally was because we never saw Sinestro in the Silver Age, so he was already a bad guy. And then, so the idea that oh, he trained Hal and all the stuff that was not like the the way it originally was, but it's been this way for so long. That's the way we think, and that, and that's and that's when it comes to Sinestro. That in a way, I think that became way too much of the whole Johns thing uh, between Hal and Sinestro. That I. I know why it's real tempting to go to that well, and like and like I just said, he's not. It's not like Jeff Johns created that idea that oh, Sinestro trained 
Hal and things like that. And they were friends to start with. And, you know, he didn't set that concept up. He just kind of, like, took it to the next degree. But it seemed like that personal dynamic, <coughs> that breaking up between the two of them was such a huge impact on both. And it really dominated that that book, which is why I've said before, you could arguably make the case Sinestro is at least the co-star of that entire run, that the, the story is just as much Sinestro's story. I mean, there, he he didn't become the first White Lantern by accident, you know. Right, and even if it was, even if part of that was just you know to uh, go against expectations, to subvert expectations, even if it, you know even if uh, Jeff Johns was pulling a Ryan Johnson there just to say, oh, they're never going to see this coming, nor did nor did they want to. But hmm. <laughs> but it, 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 to be fair, in, in Blackest Night, it was kind of cool. It was. It was. It's not what we expected, you know. And it, and it did blow up in his face, which is typical Sinestro. <laughs> but, but still, I mean, so so much of it was that, which is one of the reasons why, to me, you go to the end of in Green Lantern twenty, you know, John's last book, and I am interested in seeing John's return for the hundred in the hundred page uh, special, the 80th uh, anniversary. I think yeah. that's at the end of June. It's coming. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. June. That I'm looking. I am looking forward to seeing that. And and who knows down the road, he may you know he does still have a thing for Green Lantern. He may come back to and I, which I wouldn't mind. Some people obviously who hate Jeff Johns uh, would would not. But after Grant Morrison, I will happily accept even even B level Jeff Johns. Not even hitting at his A game. Yeah, yeah, Third Army two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sir. I mean, I mean, it's kind of. I mean, it's not great for everybody, but at the same time, it's kind of cool that. Green Lantern keeps having these long runs that are so starkly different from each other. So it's like, it's like you want a series that kind of has something for everybody. Look at this. Look, look at the Jeff Johns run compared to the Venditti run compared to the Morrison run. It's like you wouldn't even think these are in the same universe. It's crazy. Yeah, that that I think that's that is that is a good point, and I think that's part that's part of the issue is the fact that they there seems they don't really jibe well together. There's no really natural flow. There was a little bit of a flow, to be fair, uh, from even though Venditti obviously tried to out, to undermine a lot of a lot of concepts that or take it to a different go in a different direction that Jeff Johns would have gone, but he didn't completely flush it down the down the toilet. I think he did embrace a lot of where Jeff Johns was with the baton. It, it, with another Star Wars analogy, it's not like he was handed the baton. He, he was handed the baton and he ran with it, as opposed to handing the baton like Luke and throwing it over his shoulder and, mm. and saying, screw this! Uh, Morris, I, th- I think Morrison's book is mo- a lot more of a niche or a niche book. I mean, I think it's a lot for people who really love this book, and there are people. Myron, here's your mention. People, <laughs> people who love this book that but I think it's a much smaller window. Like if you're really not a diehard Morrison fan or or, or a complete Silver Age junkie, uh, I don't think you're really digging this book all that much. Plus, it is so it is so easy to see how much how unimportant <laughs> almost all of this stuff will be probably when the next writer takes over. That it's going to yeah. be so flushed down the toilet, almost everything in it, because cause it's not it's not even that memorable. I mean, for all we know, the final panel of this entire Morrison run is going to be like, like Venditti era Hal Jordan, or like, like 
like a, a, a Venditti comic where like Kyle Rayner has just been drawing a Hal Jordan Silver Age <laughs> story the entire time, and then he just like leaves it on his desk to go like fight like the Dark Stars again, you know, like we. <laughs> Or it could end up being the bedrock of everything that happens for the next ten years. Who knows? Probably not that one, but uh Yeah, I don't know. Oh, yeah. I don't know. It seems it seems like like this sometimes it seems like like all like the creative whiplash with Green Lantern means that we're doing it wrong by trying to read all of it all the time. <laughs> Yeah, I I think I think that's I think that's a good I think that's a good point too. It's like uh, when you were talking about Kyle, you know, Kyle drawing the comic book. I, I was also thinking of like a Carol of like how uh, Carol waking up and finding Hal in the shower, like in Dallas. It's like, oh, yeah. what are you doing? It's like you never believed the dream I just had. It's like, but I look at but again, as much as I love the you know, we all we know jo- we know John's did, was. Was not going out on his on his strongest note. There were some good. He had some decent arcs in the New Fifty Two stuff. The Indigo Tribe stuff was kind of was kind of cool. The setup for First Lantern was really good, but if it 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 kind of blew up real quickly. And it, and then you get to Green Lantern Twenty, which was really good on multiple levels. But then you had but the things that were stupid in it were so blatantly <laughs> stupid. It's like, oh, Kyle can't resurrect. He's a White Lantern. Oh. Oh, That's Mark. what they do, and I understand that. Hey, he's not your traditional White Lantern because he didn't either get a, a <coughs> ring, a battery, or host the entity. But still, it's hard to believe that. That's pretty much what White, you know, White Lanterns do. They they resurrect, and we just saw like two issue, like an issue before, like New Guardians, when he literally could have brought back all the Corgor, but they just chose not to come back. He opened the door; they had to be willing to walk through, and they chose not to. You can't tell me he couldn't f and bring back Hal Jordan. And then Hal Jordan brings himself back with a Green Lantern ring, which we know does not work. You don't become a not, you don't become a not, you're not a Black Lantern anymore because there's a Green Lantern ring on your finger. That, Uh. that made no friggin' sense whatsoever. And it's like, all the good that's in that issue. (laughs) Mark, Mark, I don't know if you know about my current creative venture, but I, uh, I went and read and reread every single comic to have a White Lantern in it. I read the, all the New Guardian stuff, Brightest Day, the Hal and the Core appearances, Blackest Night, like everything that had a White Lantern in it, Batman Universe, all of it. And I can tell you for an absolute fact, nobody knows what the hell the powers of the White Lantern are. <laughs> and we'll talk more about that at the end when I plug something. <laughs> that is true. The what it, it is. It is very, 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 very open-ended. Probably, because, partially because we've never, with the exception of Kyle, we've never really had anybody be a White Lantern for particularly long. <laughs> well, there's there's a bunch of problems. There's a there's a problem that the only time we've had a White Lantern, so so in Blackest Night, in both in both Blackest Night and Brightest Day, we only had White Lanterns that were. Be- acting as direct vessels of the life entity. So, yeah, maybe what they're doing is regular White Lantern stuff, or maybe it's bigger, more impressive stuff that you can only do when you have the entity, just because that's how entities work. And then in in 
New Guardians, we finally had a White Lantern without an entity in it, but his ring was made in a weird way, and do the things that he can do, like, are those what White Lanterns do, or is that a result of the way his ring was constructed? Or is this a limit of the person using the ring? We don't know, because, hey, guess what? He also went through the goddamn source wall and got the life equation in his head, and they go out of their way to say that all these miraculous things he's doing are the result of him, you know, rewriting reality with the life equation. So at the end of the day, we don't actually have any idea at all what the powers of the White Lantern is. At all. And there's six of them out in space. They flew out into space. Like, Kyle made a White Lantern core. And they they have been MIA since 2015. <laughs> yes. Uh, what was? Oh God, this is a bad this is a bad episode for me uh, to pull, pulling names out of the top of my hat. What what was the the guy with the the axe or whatever? The one who I liked. The one the one who tried to prevent Kyle from screwing up and bringing back Relic before he did. Oh 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 that uh, um I don't remember. It was oh, something. Fuck. It was something like very like. Kinda, I don't know. Because he, because he always reminds, he always <laughs> reminds me of of Worth, even though he clearly isn't Bert yeah. Worth, but he does, but he does look like. But yeah, th- but he I, should, yeah, he, he should come back because he's one of the White Lanterns. Right, that's what that's they they absolutely they absolutely kept uh, they kept coming back to him and the fact because he was in that even before he became a White Lantern he was. Uh, yeah, he showed up like for a couple different stories. Yes, yeah, because because Kyle because Kyle, Kyle helped Kyle helped him out. Uh, yeah, because he was going back to his planet, right? He was going back to his planet, and he was catching some help from for something for maybe for not being able to do it. I forget what I forget what it was. If he wasn't doing his, if he wasn't because he failed, but with to you know to keep people away from relic i kind of forget yeah think- but then also there was like some evil bad guy machine god or something who was like manipulating his people into building weapons and all this it was it was like a one issue story that was kind of fast and not really anything good but he came back a few times and he was he seemed nice he's exeter yeah yeah exeter. yeah he, it was, he's such a '90s character. He looks like an like an Orion knockoff, but and he's named like he should be in like like a Wildcats book or something. Yes, yes. Uh, yep. Before he became a member of the White Lantern Corps, he was the warden of the space prison known as the Anomaly, which held Relic. Let's go, Kyle. <laughs> nice. But yes, but yes, the White Lanterns are out there. They could they they could be. They could obviously be explored at some point. Uh, St. Walker's out there supposedly restarting the Blues, and at least supposedly they were the Blues were taken off the table for for an, for an editorial reason, uh, which you would think probably now they're off the table because nobody gives a rat's ass. Aww. But at the time, I, you know, it made sense. I mean, I think we have got, many people I think speculated it probably had to do. We thought it was going to have to do with Doomsday Clock. Oh no! It it, it it very specifically was going to do with Doomsday Clock because they they flat out show like when Kyle is like grabbing Saint Walker's head to try and resurrect the Blue Lanterns. Saint Walker's like, "Wait, who are you? No, get out of here!" And then the resurrection fails, and while Kyle's ring is falling apart, it cuts to to um. Ganthet, right, saying it shouldn't be possible. It, or that and we get like a a shot of like like characters throughout the DC universe connected to the spectrum somehow reacting to 
to like this tremor and one of them was a uh, I think it's the Mr. Oz character who was like hinting at like, oh, here's we know that Dr. Manhattan's doing something like they very clearly drew the line of like, like, yeah, Dr. Manhattan stopped that resurrection and po- right. and possibly took Kyle's ring apart. Yes. And that's what everybody that's what we all thought. So you would think. And when and Robert seemingly confirmed that when he said that more or less a decision to, you know, take it, not bring back the original blues and or take take them, you know, St. Walker off the table had to do with, it was an editorial decision, not his. Everything pointed to, okay, they're being kept off the, the board either because of something that's going to happen in Doomsday Clock or at some, or during Doomsday Clock or something, they're, they're going to be used as a, as a fallout from Doomsday Clock. But, now it's probably the case that nobody cares about doing a story about the Blue Lanterns and, and, and or else, whatever the part, plus, we also have to acknowledge the fact that since that damn book was delayed like over a year those 12 issues took over a year for them to come out that obviously that did have an effect on stories that were being told in the dcu because if that was supposed to be so earth-shaking and have ramifications people had to tell different stories in the meantime too yeah like go in different directions yeah like we probably were supposed to see the blue lanterns already but again by now but you know it took to the doomsday clock took too long plans had to change and things had to get shelved like there's pro there is probably like a previously approved Blue Lantern pitch that is sitting there because the time passed, you know? Yeah, hopefully, hopefully someone will pick up that pick up that <laughs> baton, too, at some point. Uh, probably not going to be Morrison, though. No, no, no. <laughs> He's very... You know, I did just recently get... <clears throat> Comicsology had a sale on a bunch of DC stuff, and I, I got the trades of the Morrison JLA. And I'm very curious to go back and reread that and see, you know, how does adult me feel about how he treats Kyle? Because I'm, I've seen how he's, he approaches green lantern in general right now. And I also read his, his, um, the one issue of um, Multiversity, where it was, hey, what of all like the new generation grew up and became the main heroes? And he seems to not like legacy characters very much at all right now, especially is, at least when it comes to, to Green Lanterns. So I'm I'm curious to revisit what his views on Kyle were back then. He does seem to. I'm not going to say he waffles, but he does seem to at least. Let's let's just say he evolves his views because I know he was. I was pretty. It was pretty clear he wasn't a big Hal Jordan guy, so it so it was kind of surprising. You know, just the mere fact that he was that he just that he got ranked. You know, he got roped into doing a Green Lantern book featuring. Hal Jordan. Um, I would argue he's at, still not a Hal Jordan guy. <laughs> I, I would argue that he's more enamored with the era that version of Hal Jordan comes from than he is anything related to Hal Jordan himself. That is probably that is probably an accurate assessment. Yeah, because but 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 still, I'm sorry. It's just it's, it's the it's just the fact that he he chose to take that. No matter what, he he figured out a way to tell stories, and obviously, at least we believe two years worth of stories fits Hal Jordan being the lead character. So if so if so if you really didn't like the character at all, that's still it's still even more it's it's intriguing that you could figure out a way. Well, I, like I don't 
like the pitch, like I really don't like Hal Jordan or Hal Jordan is boring to me. But if I was going to do a Hal Jordan book, this is how this is how I would do it. So the fact that again, and this has to do with your ability as a writer, you could you can, I mean, if you're, if you're really good, you can probably tell at least a certain for a certain period of time, tell some interesting stories. To some people, interesting <laughs> stories. <laughs> In quotes, I'm doing my air buddies now. Interesting stories about character about a character or you don't like. Just like if you're just like if you're writing a persuasive essay in school, theoretically, you could very easily write a really good persuasive essay for, for taking one side of an argument, even though that's not the side of the argument you really believe in at all. But you feel that there's there's like enough evidence to be able to support that. It's like I think I could do a good job writing that up. So it's kind of like the same thing here. It's like he may not think Hal Jordan, you know, he may not really like Hal Jordan, but he thought that okay, if I was going to approach the Green Lantern universe, this is how this is how I would want to tell it. But yes, it may just be a he loves his multiversity in the Silver Age so much that so this is a great opportunity to dig up characters that people have never heard of it since 1965. Uh, <laughs> but she has been very good at that. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah, he's good at that. He's just. Uh... I don't know. His just, his approach is he's, he does that thing. I've, I've told this story before, where like in a, when I went to art school and we were learning storytelling, something that was stressed is that you have to like, <clears throat> and obviously this is going to be true. This is not going to be true for everything across the board, but like your goal is to be clear enough with your storytelling that you could hand your finished work to anybody off the street and they could they could understand what was happening based just on the contents of your pages. And I ha- I had this like art <clears throat> this argument with one of my classmates because he did this like beautifully drawn like like really well written thing, but th- it was full of like these like gaps where I didn't understand what was happening, but he didn't think there was problems at all because it's it came from uh, all that is in his head, so he understands it, so he can't see that everything someone else needs to understand it is not on the page. And sometimes I feel like that's what's happening with Morrison where like it all makes perfect sense to him because he did the research. He has the background. He, he knows implicitly every last detail that you need to know for this to click just amazingly. But all of that isn't making its way into the final product. Yeah, that makes perfectly sense too. It's like a, it's like, it's like an, ins, it's like a joke. If you have to explain it, if you have to explain it too much. So why it's funny? Then it probably isn't that funny a joke, or it's a little too complex. And maybe you need to think of a different approach. It's like if you if you do repeatedly tell the joke and people don't get it, and you're telling it the same way, then there's something wrong somewhere in there. Uh, even though the kernel of the joke, there may be humor in there. It's just not. It's being swallowed up maybe by minutia. Or whatever, and minutia. There's a lot of minutia in the uh, in Grant Morrison stuff. And the sad part is, again, as I've said before, this book is still not nearly as bad as I feared it was going to be <laughs> when I heard he was coming on this book. As bad as Chad's rant was, and what the hell issue it was like issue two? Yeah. Uh, oh, it was two. it was issue two, all right. Yeah. That as bad as his rant was, uh, I mean, as, as bad as he felt and he, the need to rant on that. That, that, I guess, was my fear of what this book was going to be, issue in and issue out, and at least 
that hasn't really been the case. It, if anything, I wish it was weirder. I wish th- this was like like bouncing off the walls, Grant Morrison. I wish this was like Final Crisis, Grant Morrison. Oh. Give, give me, you know what? If if you want to explore weird me- like metaphysical, metatextual things, do it. Go for it. Give me, you know, give me like space vampires that live between the bleed. Give me like like Superman singing the note the vibrations of reality to erase dark side. Like give me something that is bizarre that I would have to like that I would have to change the way I think about comics as a medium to fully wrap my mind around. That's not what we got, and that's kind of that's that's I don't know. Maybe he was under pressure not to go full Morrison all the time. I it's it's a it was a fine line when it was a fine line. He was a you know the biggest name writer going on that book in a long time uh, because we know Johns was not that Johns became big. He was becoming big, but he didn't become big till. He was on Green Lantern. Yeah. Uh, uh, obviously, he'd been around for a while, and he had, you know, he did, you know, he did, but uh, Judgment Day, and he did, he did JSA, he did Flash, he did stuff before he he did how Green Lantern Rebirth, but it was Green Lantern Rebirth and the Green Lantern series and Sinestro Corps and Blackest Night that made that put Jeff Johns, he became Jeff Johns. But so this is the biggest writer that was assigned to this book in such such a long period of time for for any decent run. We know Jurgens never got a run. Jurgens got like an arc, just a, for a book that we knew was going to end. That which was so disappointing. That was that. Can I go off on that book that, that for a second? Because like I I read it's it's really kind of frustrating because the the Jurgens run of Green Lanterns, the Simon and Jessica book. It on one hand it gives you it gives us what we kind of want like it was just a straight up Green Lantern core story where here is like seven or eight Green Lanterns going on this space adventure together and we're gonna like pull in Cyborg Superman and we're gonna do all this cool stuff and it's gonna have like this like this dark like storm stormy tone to it and it's it was really cool but at the same time it. Like, despite the fact that it was this really good, compelling Green Lantern core story, it completely ignored the fact that it was taking place in a book that starred two specific Green Lanterns that were still, like, Simon and Jessica were still in that group that played a large role in the story, but they didn't matter much, and it turned into a Hal Jordan story at the end, to the point that, like, the final two or so issues of that book was Hal Jordan front and center with Simon and Jessica off in the back somewhere, if they were on the cover at all. And it walked back, like, all of Simon's character development in the course of two pages. And it's, like, it split up them as partners for, I I don't think, any reason. And it's it just, like... It's like nobody told Jurgens what the book was before he got to it, or they did, and he just didn't care. Like it's it was a it was a pretty good story arc, but it did not belong there, and it's the worst way they could have ended that series. Well, it's also very possible that they, that he kind of that he knew where the status they where they wanted the status quo to be. When that arc ended, because they knew what they were, 
where they were about to spin Jessica off into what Odyssey and and Simon off into wherever the hell. What is Simon? What is Simon in? Uh, si- Simon is in the Green Lantern 80th anniversary issue. I know. I could. I I, I saw the listing of the stories. It's like I couldn't believe that he actually has a. They actually gave us a, a Simon a Simon bat. I am story. I am honestly I'm very surprised and also happy because I I do like after reading that entire series in a condensed format I do have an appreciation for Simon Bass. So I like the fact that he's getting he's getting a t- like I think these are all ten page stories. That's the, the fact that he's getting one is just it just makes me happy because I think he's shown up in like crowd shots in justice league mostly and there was some kind of um like children's book or something with the justice league that had him in it but he hasn't had an actual like like speaking role in a dc comic since dan jurgens <laughs> stopped writing it well it's good that you that you are you are the simon bass fan <laughs> I'm only kidding. Uh, we know Simon Baz has he has he has fans out there, uh, but yeah, I just think keep. They probably just said this is where, this is where the books this is where we need these characters to go because this book this book's getting canceled. We're splitting these two characters up, so enjoy, enjoy yourself. But this is where we need to, <laughs> this is where we need to end up, and or maybe and maybe they knew what was coming with. Uh, to a certain extent, with Morrison, what some some of the stuff Morrison wanted to touch on early, so maybe that's why they had to do the whole redesigning of the power battery stuff. But I, I, I obviously, if anybody had been reading Action Comics and reading Jurgen's run uh, in re- the Rebirth era, you know, with with Mister Oz and and all that stuff, which was really really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I've read a few. I've read a little bit of, of the Bendis run, uh, but as soon as I knew they were kicking Jurgens to the curb for Bendis, it's like, okay. I think my int- the Bendis uh, the Bendis Superman run, I, I haven't read Action Comics or anything like that. His Superman run with uh, with uh, Evan Hayes is actually really, really good. Now, technically speaking, these books get pulled for me, but I very rarely keep take both of them uh, anymore. Which one is where he's fighting Mongols? Is that Superman or Action Comics? That is Superman. All right, then I agree with you. That's the that's the be- that's the that's been the, that has been the better of the two Bendis books, I think, because I've actually picked I have picked up a bunch of issues related to yeah related to the Mongol arc and everything else, and I also picked up some of the stuff related to you know, Naomi and Leviathan, and they were in that might have been action, but either way, that yeah I but the anybody who had read the Jurgens run knew that. Very early on, and that's and that's even before it was revealed, like in spoiled, like a newsarama somewhere. You you kind of it made and it made perfect sense that it would be Cyborg Superman since that was these right that that's the character that's the character that he wrote in Reign of the Superman right that was his book he had the Cyborg Superman book if I remember if I remember correctly I think the actual Superman book which was Cyborg Superman's book I think that was the one Jurgens. The one that Jerkins was actually writing monthly. Sometimes so, I feel yeah. like that's his favorite character because the Cyborg Superman just pops up in everything he writes. He does. He does like. He does like Cyborg, which I can. Uh, I I like. I like Hank Hank Henshaw, especially when he actually looks like 
now that they've kind of gone back and given him, you know, returning to the looks of how he looked in Reign of the Superman, I hated that that like that apocalypse version. Oh, that red shit. That was terrible. yeah, that orangey stuff when he did when even the human part looked nothing like Superman. It's like yeah, I, I hated that. I, and, the, and they kept the mullet for some reason. Like they ditched yeah. everything. They ditched everything else, but kept the stupid hair. Yeah, yeah, I I did not I did not like. I did not like that version of uh, of Cyborg Superman at all, um, but I do like the character. I do like. I actually like where Jurgen left him before we got to the Superman arc. Where actually, I mean the uh, the Green Lanterns arc, when Superman was actually trying to. He was actually trying to re- re- rehabilitate Hank Henshaw, but that's why he was locked in the Fortress of Solitude. He was trying to basically bombard him with positive memories, so he could try to t- you know, basically turn him, t- kind of like get him, t- talk him down off the ledge, if you will, because of the fact that he basically, you know, you knew that you really couldn't kill him. That there was nothing, nothing you could really do that could take out Cyborg Superman, because we've seen it. You know, he'll he'll find his way into anything. <laughs> Even even if it doesn't make even if it doesn't make a lot of sense, he'll find his way into anything. So, but you know, I'm looking at the listing of the 80th anniversary stories again, and I just noticed now there is a 10 page sto- Sinestro story written by Colin Bunn. Nice. That is going to be. That's going to be. If anything is going to to inspire me to go back and reread that series. It's gonna be that. Like it's, it's just so. I miss. I just. I miss Sinestro. You know, I miss Sinestro. And don't get me wrong. Like I. I like it when the arch nemesis is used sparingly. I think one of the best decisions Jeff Johns made was to, like, make Sinestro the villain in Rebirth, and then we don't see him at all until the Sinestro Core War. Like, we don't see him for, like, two years. And when he shows up, it's super impactful. Right, other than when he recruited Arkillo, but but as far as in an actual story, you are, you are correct. That they, which, is, which is, again, that, it's funny you mention that, because I was thinking, that was one of the things I wanted to talk about with, with the original, with Green Lantern Rebirth was, yes, Sinestro had been such a non-factor in Green Lantern books for such a long time, they brought him back in that in that splash page of what was it issue three? Yeah, yeah, three, three, and then because four was when Ollie and Kyle had to fight him, and then at the end of that issue is when Hal gets resurrected and Hal and Sinestro go at it in issue five, and it's in the middle. It's like a third of the way through issue five, he disappears. Yeah, like in the first uh, like in the first two years of the John's run, he showed up in like two issues of Rebirth and like the first and last issue of the Sinestro Core War. He was in four issues in two years and it was the best Sinestro storytelling ever. <laughs> yes, I I think that that is true. He was used very very used very selectively and in the process of course, and this was good Jeff Johns. This was Jeff Johns at his best setting things up the way he was setting things up with Black Hand, which even in Rebirth, he was setting things up with Black Hand that we didn't even realize uh, that where he was going with that. Um, so I think it was – that was – but his use of Sinestro staying on point, yes. And that Sinestro – but pretty much – but after the Sinestro Core War, it was like Sinestro was there like all the time. Not saying it was bad, but he was – his presence was there so much. Uh 
made for some good stories like Rage of the Red Lanterns and and things like that. But there were very few arcs that Sinestro wasn't wasn't involved in, going all the way until the end of the uh, New Fifty Two. Yeah, although I think it's Jeff Johns running the New Fifty Two. Yeah, although I think giving Sinestro a Green Lantern ring again and seeing like how that played out was a great idea. And- no, it was. I thought that was that was that was pretty cool and for and. For- and forcing them to work, Hal and Hal and Sinestro to work together, uh, and of course how Hal eventually turns the table on Sinestro, which was cool. But that was good, and it also gave us the help lead us, you know, into the the origin of the Indigo Tribe and Abinsur's role in that. And so, yeah, there were there there was a lot of good, even at towards the end of. I mean, I don't. The worst thing in the New Fifty Two run for Jeff Johns was just that there was that the the stories just didn't seem as developed and they didn't pay off as well. Yeah, I mean he he should have stopped with Blackest Night, like everything. Like yeah, he didn't have time to pay off everything that he had introduced, but that was like the best possible ending point he could have had. You know, you want to like he could have still come back like a like a year or two later to tell his like final like like big. Story and we could hit on all the stuff he hid in in, in uh, Green Lantern twenty, but it just seemed like at that point he didn't have the same kind of like the books didn't seem like they're going anywhere as much as they had been leading up to all that, and I think that was also the time when his his attention and responsibilities started to like splinter off in all these different directions. So it's like he wasn't putting everything he had into it anymore. And that was, I think that's true, but whether it was all because his heart wasn't in it, his ideas were running out, or he was just being stretched so thin, because it's like, oh, we're going to have Jeff Johns be involved in everything, because Jeff Johns is in, and we know Jeff Johns will sell books, so let's have him write this, let's have him write that. Let's do Flash Rebirth. What do you mean it's not as good? <laughs> we tried. Uh, that, it just... I just, yeah, it's. It might have been better. For, it might have been better that he left. He, if he didn't leave after Blackest Night, that at least at the end of War of the Green Lanterns. Yeah. And let somebody else pick up the mantle. If you wanted to leave where you did, with Sinestro getting a Green Lantern ring, then that's fine. Let then begin the new Fifty Two, for the new creative team. But not that I'm complaining, but I'm saying if that would have been that would have been at least a natural jumping on point. As a, for somebody new, as opposed to what what we got when he left up to issue twenty, and then and then the whole fiasco about oh we have four Green Lantern books and we really don't know where they're going, and it's like a, oh we're gonna have a Fjolkov's gonna write two Green Lantern books, and then he's gonna quit before he writes any book at all, and then and like oh they wanted me to kill John Stewart, and it's like no we didn't, and then people say no we didn't tell him we didn't want him to kill John Stewart, <laughs> it's like it's like. I, that, that 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 bothers me too. That whole thing, that the idea that it's like you're, you're supposed to be getting two books. So basically, he was going to have more influence on the Green Lantern franchise than than Venditti, because hmm. he was supposed to be writing Core and Red Lantern. Oh wow! And yeah, that's what it was. He was supposed to be writing. He was supposed to be taking doing both of those books, and <clears throat> and then that's why Rand Jensen, who because he was friends with Robert Venditti, that's how he got in the door to do Core. But the idea was, okay, if, if DC is really forcing you to kill... If they were really dead set, no pun intended, on killing Jon Stewart, 
so dead set they were willing to let the guy who was going to write two of the Green Lantern books walk, don't you think that would have been a high requisite for the guy they brought in to replace him? It's like, guess what? Kind of like Emerald Twilight. It's like, you know, it's like, even though, yes, Ron Mars didn't actually know he was killing, he was getting rid of Hal Jordan until he had already agreed to the job. Hmm. But it'd be like, oh, by the way, the next person coming into to this book, if if you want to do Green Lantern <laughs> Corps, it's like, you can, but by telling you right now, you got to kill John Stewart. <laughs> yeah, Ron Mars and Daryl Banks were interviewed, I think, on Newsarama a few weeks ago. And he said that he didn't – Ron Mars had no idea that Parallax was the villain of Zero Hour until Zero Hour had already been going for a few issues. And and he found – he just he just heard it in passing at the office and said, wait, what? And that's when they both – they all realized that, oh, his editor thought he told Ron. <laughs> you mean Dooley? Yeah. With Dooley? Oh, Dooley. But yeah, I, actually – yeah, I'm not sure if that if – that, if that interview was new or, or they were reprinting it, but either way, yes, that's that story. I remember hearing that story for for a while. Just like going back to <laughs> thumbs up because I think other than other than Ron Mars, he's the only guy who get who's ever written who's ever written the true parallax in a logical fashion. Dan Jurgens, mm-hmm. that Dan Jurgens was the guy who helped who helped to help say, hey, you know the the the, the villain of Zero Hour should be. Should be Hal Jordan <laughs> because of what happened in Emerald Twilight. It's like, how about Hal Jordan being the bad guy because of because of how you know his new view on everything? Uh, so yeah, that that makes sense. Yes, yeah, just that they yes they didn't they did not know about that. That's true. They did not know the role that Hal Jordan was going to play. Uh, but yeah, it, it it it's it's just really. I just, I never bought I never bought that that's what that's why you know that Fialkov left because it because it would seem again you, you have to pitch you have to pitch to get the books right so they have to agree to your pitch and if you don't then it's like so I, I always kind of thought the opposite might have more have been true that they that they had agreed that, that you can kill John Stewart because he wanted to and then they got cold feet and it's like for multiple reasons and it's like maybe we shouldn't be doing this. Uh, maybe this isn't a wise idea for multiple reasons that we shouldn't kill we shouldn't kill John Stewart. But either way, I just remember when we interviewed Van Jensen, I made sure that I I, I asked based on when he came, got involved in the book, what was you know about the idea of John's uh, like pressure to kill. And he may have been taking the company line, but I, don't, I, I didn't get the vibe that he was. He said that it might have been something that was thrown around at one point, but pretty much it was not ser- certainly seriously thrown around. Or talked about when he once he came onto the book. I mean, if there's one thing we know for sure these days is that it's how uh, chaotic and troubling the comings and goings of DC editorial can be. So uh, <laughs> it it most likely wasn't anything storyline related that would cause them to just suddenly ditch a writer like that, or for him, to, or for him to, or for him to leave. Yeah. I, mean, I guess I guess it could be for him. If it was, I mean, I guess if. If you really pitch the book, if you really pitch the book a certain way, but again, yes, it, you would think it would have it would. It, it's something always seemed fishy across the board to me, especially when you gave this guy two of your books. You think at the end of the day, if you were willing to give him two of your four Green Lantern books to begin with, you would think if he was making a big enough deal about this, and that was a, you know, if you really were trying to pressure him to do this, and that's not how he pitched the book, you probably would back off because of the fact that. You know, we're going to be left holding the bag here. We can always do this down the road. Let's just let's just roll with it. I'm assuming they, I'm assuming the, the the 
if there was any truth to it on any level, whoever was thinking about it would have happened during uh, Lights Out. I'm assuming he would have died in Lights Out, since that would have been the, the, logic, the, the logical storyline for anybody to have died. In. Yeah. But yeah, I don't. I I I do. <coughs> I do always think it's. I think it's weird, but we know, we also know that it's with the, with the industry. Sometimes you end up fingers get pointed in directions where they don't belong. It just as like you know, Ron Mars caught all the no all pun and no pun intended all the heat huh? because of what happened because of what happened with Emerald Twilight. Even though again <laughs> he didn't know he was even doing that till he got till he was given the book. And yes, if it was if he was. If he didn't view this as literally, these are the, you know, this is their sandbox, which he said repeatedly, this is their sandbox, and you're getting to play with the toys for a time. If he was a writer who viewed it differently, if he was that passionate about, oh, I, I don't want to do this, he he, he would have left. He wouldn't have, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have kept the job. But the fact that he ended up being the poster child for this, when it clearly was editorial's decision, and it, Mars was always made out to be the poster boy. And you know, Dooley trying. I, that's one of the reasons I reacted the way I did because I think I, I think Kevin Dooley tried to try to pass himself off as oh, you know, like uh, we reserve the right to tell a story with an unhappy ending when while trying to take well, you know, the guys like being like Palpatine behind the you know behind the scenes along with with others you know pulling the strings getting you to this point and that making it sound like oh, you know, not all my fault or you know, <laughs> hey, they can do what they want to do. It's like, yeah, I mean as. As fans, we are way more familiar with the product than we are the people or the machine that makes the product. And anytime there's some like controversy or shakeup or something that we don't know how to fill in the blanks for, our knee-jerk reaction is to think like, oh, it must have something to do with what they, the direction of the book or this or that. When it likely didn't have anything to do with any of that stuff, and it was just like internal politics at DC, you know. Yeah, that's that. It could very well that could very well be the case. Or it's just so. And again, at the end of the day, some people we talk about this, but excuse me, related to different different things that people just they. If there's a public narrative that's out there that gets accepted, whether it's true or not, it's really easy to feed the beast because all you have to do is say something that sounds like what you heard before, and it's like, oh, it must be true. So people would just people would just eat it up. It's just a way that people. And it's, it, it bothers me because there's truth sometimes in it, but not all the time. That people just always want all 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 a director has to do is come out and say, "Oh, you know, you know, imp- say it or imply." Oh, the studio interfered with my movie, and people would jump on the bandwagon. Oh, it's the studio's fault. It's the studio's fault. This movie sucked, and it's like it could be, but the studio is involved in every. 99% of movies in their final cuts, the studio has final say over what's <laughs> going to be in the movie. So do they, are they getting credit for all the movies you like that the studio was involved in? And if not, then don't – every time – like I still hear people defending like Josh Trank's Fantastic Four. It's like, oh, the studio ruined the movie. No, he ruined the movie and he supposedly acted like a dick on the set. If the movie was <laughs> – it wasn't de- – it wasn't Warner you – know, it, was, it was not Fox that said, let's make Dr. Doom a blogger. That was tra- that was him. That was Trank. It wasn't Trank who said, "Let's." Who basically just decided to do a Fantastic Four movie that wasn't a Fantastic Four movie. <laughs> but Mark, I think you're forgetting a very important factor here, and that is the the undisputed fact that the newly announced Snyder cut of Justice League is <laughs> is going to, in fact, make this the greatest movie in Hollywood history. <laughs> 
Jim and I, Jim and I were talking about this today. The worst part to me about, and he kind of agreed with this. <laughs> the worst part of the Snyder cut is the fact that now, that the fact that they've confirmed that we're going to be seeing one, and now we got to listen to this crap for the next year until it comes oh, out. Oh, is it that long? Well, like, uh, uh, sometime in 2021. It may be early 2021, so it may not be a full year, but it's not till next. Year. I mean, I think all of this is just like a byproduct of the fact that not enough people understand how the media they consumed gets made. You know, like, right. I agree like with the, there's this whole, like, I think without even knowing there's a term for it, I think most people are like, they're, they're open to the idea of, of accepting auteur theory, you know, where like this idea that, Oh, there is one person, one guiding light who it is their vision. And everything good about this thing comes from that guy. When in reality, like, like <laughs> having, you could have the greatest director in the world on your movie. If he's the only one working on your movie, you're going to have a piece of shit movie. You know, it's, and I feel like, like film is an old enough, like we're, it's been a part of everyone's lives enough that people are at least partially aware of how the sausage is made. But like you get like newer, newer uh, like relatively newer mediums like video games that are just now like we're, it's been a few years now since they started going mainstream, but still it's very much in that, that, uh, that space of, of, I don't know, a new one just appears magically on the shelf and everybody's like, <laughs> like everybody's like still shocked to hear about like bad labor conditions at video game studios and all of that stuff. And like, like with movies, like, like, I, I kind of hate the fact that I don't know of a diehard Snyder Cut believer that I could have, like, a rational conversation with about this, because I, I don't fully understand what they think Snyder's role in the, the movie-making process is, because, like... He can only, even as the director, even if he has final say on the script, there is only so much he can do to make the movie good. Yeah, and and even if and even if he has, let's say he has final final cut of the movie, but the thing that even even yeah, you're limited by so you're limited by certain by so many factors, and then yeah, sometimes. What people also don't get is it's also how you define "quote unquote" studio interference. Like you may like, like oh, I wanted I wanted to release a three hour and twenty minute cut of this movie, and it's like, oh, the studio cut it down to like two forty five. Oh, studio interference. It's like, dude, it's like I'm sure he very well knew going in long before he began the final editing process on this movie, before he probably shot a frame on this movie, he knew that he was not going to have a three hour theatrical cut of this movie or anything close to that. So if so, it, it, in this theoretical this discussion or hypothetical discussion, that's a, that's that's ridiculous. Unless you're like Endgame or something, you're not going to have a three. Your, your movie is not going to be like three hours long for mul- for multiple reasons. The st- and the st- unless you're like Scorsese, or and not even probably even Spielberg anymore. But unless you're unless you're like that level of director, the odds are you're not going to have final say on the cut. Or you're not going to have final say on the, you know, including the time. The time you have to bring your movie in under. You may, have, if you're like Martin Scorsese, you might very well be able to say you have final cut, and however long that cut is, 
that's the, the studio will accept it. But that's far and few between. Almost all the time, studios have a say in and the cut. They have a say in how long it's going to be, and that's and they have influ- and they have influence on on what's in the movie. And that's natural. That's and they are putting up the money for it. They should have. They should naturally have some say in it. And when it works, you never hear. You don't hear any. Like Rogue One. People liked Rogue One for the most part. Rogue One, there were changes made to Rogue One. Those changes were supposedly made not – this wasn't even a Kathleen Kennedy thing. This was a Disney thing. This was either a, an, a Horn and, and or an Iger thing saying when they saw that first cut, there was something tonally that was off that didn't make it feel like a Star Wars movie. So that's why they, that's why they played around with, with the third act. It worked. and told, But they don't get but, – but you don't – but they don't, you know. But the studio never gets any credit for that. Uh, that last, that uh, final Lord of the Rings trilogy movie, not the Hobbit ones, but like whatever the final Lord of the Rings movie was called, that was I forget the exact numbers. That thing was supposed to be ridiculously long. The studio cut it down and just released the long, the super long one on the Blu-ray. Like, because the, no, there at least at the time, I don't know how the runtime would stack up to Endgame or something, but at least at the time, they're like, nobody's gonna sit through a movie that's this long. We're cutting this, and because of the financial implications, because you obviously you, you lose you lose showings when the movie is too long. I mean, plus because you have to fa- because you have to factor in the endless amount of trailers we, we we get on movies these days. You could, I mean, you can literally have twenty minute twenty minutes of. 20 minutes of trailers. Oh, by the way, it looks like the the, the long cut of uh, Return of the King is like four hours and 11 minutes. Cool. <laughs> that, that's what it's that's what it's showing on IMDb. It just popped up. I actually was looking for the, the what what the theatrical. And you know what? That is perfectly fine if it's something that I can watch in my home and pause and come back to and watch in multiple sittings if I want to. But like. Like, you can't ask that of an audience that's going to have to sit put in a theater for be- from beginning to end through all of that. Like, you have, like, the, the creative vision has to be compromised to make a product that makes sense. And I'm not saying that that's what happened with Justice League. I still haven't seen Justice League, although now I'm kind of tempted to watch both versions of it and see, like, all right, was how, was this actually worth it? But I don't know. I just and I'm I'm, I'm kind of interested to see, like, in a post Snyder cut world, what are what are people going to have to say about the stuff that they blamed Joss Whedon for? but is still exactly the same in the Snyder version. You know, like, like it seems like the narrative is like, oh, the, the, the studio butchered the Snyder cut, and that's why all of these things in the movie are bad. Well, what if the Snyder cut comes out and half of the things you attributed that to are still there because that's what he wanted? I don't know. I really don't know what people are... Are expecting. I mean, it's like the reality. I mean, it's like the extended version of, of BVS. I mean, I know it. It may make some parts look or make more a little bit more sense, but it doesn't change the actual. It doesn't make the movie. If you thought the movie was crap before, it's not going to make you think, "Oh wow, that movie's great." Yeah, yeah. If you, if you have fundamental problems with the way a movie was made, 
then making it longer isn't going to automatically fix that. It's like, oh, hey, you didn't like this? Well, what if there was 25% more of it? (laughs) (laughs) It's like that Seinfeld joke of Elaine hates the the subs, but she's got a punch card for a free one. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's a good analogy. But, yeah, again, yes. So understanding... Understanding the process helps, and it's not like, and, you, and, and it's not always one side or the other that's to blame. So if there's a problem between, like DC. DC, we we've, we talked about this. DC has a bad dealing with writers, or they, they, you know, they have a bad rep. Then the reality, but it doesn't mean every single time there's a conflict between a, write, a writer and DC, and somebody leaves or somebody gets canned. It's not necessarily because you know it's it's always DC, you know. Person A's fault, or entity A's fault, but is but an entity B is gets off scot free. Sometimes it, it it there's it's give and take. Nothing's monolithic. Nothing's just all black and white. And it depend it depends on it depends on on circumstances. So, but I do. But it bo- it always bother. But it bothers me with the because uh, I've I've I, I because Trank because Trank has been out there talking recently about more about the Boba Fett movie and things like that that he almost did the idea that people have been jumping on oh it was the studio that they just butchered that movie it's like I completely believe 20th Century Fox saw the cut of that saw that movie and realized wow this is one steaming pile and we have to do whatever we can to make it less of a steaming pile and even if you think that the studio undermined you. The fact is, he did the most unprofessional thing in the world by literally coming out like two days or so before the movie came out and and sh- and made it clear that his own his his own movie because he could have taken his name off of it, but he didn't. His own movie that was about to be released wasn't good. So talk about and and at that point, so many people had been defending him, like members of the members of the cast were defending him but it's like when you get when when your own director literally cuts you off with the knees when your movie's about to come out that's about as unprofessional as you get that's one of those things where at the very least you just shut up you just shut up and you just go on with it i mean if if you want to work in the business it is pros and cons you know he was a, he was a he was a small independent you know relatively small independent director so that was his that was his first really big big studio movie so, but if that's one of the reasons why he probably really hasn't done much since, is because of how supposedly how he behaved on set, and because no matter what problems you had, you don't come out and basically say, "Hey, this movie, don't go see my movie that's about to come out because it sucks." I was like, "Oh, and there, there might there, so, there there's a there, there was a good version of this movie, but I doubt you're ever going to see it." Mm-hmm. Something, you know, like, so I was like, "You you don't you don't say that." I mean, so I fully believe Fox knew the movie was bad. Did their best to, ch- to make it less bad, but again, like you said, you can only do so much with what you have. And if you have shit to start with, it's still going to be shit. You just try to, you know, you can only polish that turd as much as you can. And I and I fully believe that's what they did on that movie. So I could be wrong, it, but might for that for that, I I instinctually I feel strongly that that's not an example of studio interference ruining a movie. Just. Uh, Justice League, who knows? Maybe the Snyder Cut, maybe the Snyder Cut will be better. But considering I wasn't a huge fan of Man of Steel or BVS, I'm not holding that a lot of confidence. And I have liked some of Snyder's movies in the past, but not. But I didn't hate any. I didn't hate BVS. I thought it was okay. Yeah, I'm. I'm honestly, I'm more interested in like 
all the other DC stuff that's coming to HBO. Which, by the way, you want to know when Sinestro is probably coming back to the comics? It's probably whenever that uh that TV show gets started up because I think isn't Sinestro supposed to be in there somewhere? From what I don't. I don't remember if they've if they've confirmed that. I don't know if they haven't really confirmed a whole hell of a lot. They, there's a lot of there's a lot of speculation. I think with Kyle, I think Kyle's been floated as as, as very possible. Because um, I might be mixing up with some of the movie stuff. I seem to remember them saying like it's gonna be it's gonna start two Green Lanterns and Tenestro's also gonna be there. And there's like a like a generational thing. And the generational thing they, they did they did say that that yes. part I do remember I think with Berlanti I think right Berlanti's involved I, in this I, one? Think I think so I think he said that and, I think that was a quote. and the show is supposed to come sometime next year which would line up pretty nicely with the end of a presumably twelve issue second season of Morrison's run so I think sometime in 2021 would be a good time to launch a book that has Sinestro with a green ring again. That's interesting. Well, yeah, Green Lantern is in such a bad straight, bad straights right now. It's hard. It's really hard to know. And if that TV show stinks, oh my God, uh, we can just put a fork in it. Yeah. I mean, because Lord knows we haven't heard, we really still haven't heard Jack about the Green Lantern Corps movie, other than the fact that oh maybe it's going to be really tied to the show, but that was something else that maybe that was something else that oh we were we were supposed to get more announcements about that, and I know obviously with COVID stuff that could very well have been pushing stuff, and, and justifiably can push stuff to the back burner because almost every movie that's going to be released was supposed to be released for the first nine months of this year pretty much either aren't haven't been or being pushed back. Yeah. So 2021 is going to be nuts as it is from a, from a release perspective. So I just hope by then HBO Max will be available for me on either on my Fire Stick because right now, I can, other than putting it on my damn phone, even though technically I should be able to get it for free since I have I have have Optimum and I have HBO through them, that it's not available currently. But on Roku, it's not available on Fire Stick, and of course my Samsung TV is just like with the Disney Plus app are too old. Uh-huh. So I can't so I can't watch it on my smart TV either. So if, if they don't get it on the Fire Stick, I'm I'm probably going to be screwed for just what about watch for the time. What about being. watching it on your 89 uh, year old computer? That is another possibility. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm yes. I'm glad that I'm not actually I I'm going to jump on for, at least for the Green Lantern show. I'm kind of glad that's not coming out for a while because by then maybe they'll have worked out how to. Like let people watch their things, <laughs> right? <coughs> I think I think they'll work. They'll resolve it. Uh, I actually thought they. I was surprised when I was reading stuff today that they hadn't th- that the Roku thing was still not done because I actually thought I I must have misread either that or they were close to a deal, but it felt but they didn't get the final language worked out. I thought they had said that that they had that Roku. They had solved. They had come to an agreement with Roku, but I knew I knew Firestick even last week. I knew everything. It was pointing in the direction that Amazon that that was not going to be a, that they were not going to have that done by today, the twenty seventh, which is the launch day. So well, launching, I just hope launching a new streaming service right now seems like a a weird decision because I mean, yeah, there's tons of people who are at home on the internet with nothing else to do, but at the same time. Is I I don't have the numbers in front of me, but isn't this one of the more ex, more expensive services too? 
And people and it people's is, like jobs are kind of up in the air right now. <laughs> it's like fourteen ninety nine, but I think that's about the same. I think that's on average the same subscription price as HBO. So besides the fact that so many that they're making it free for so many places where you get if if you have HBO that there's so many different opportunities that quote unquote get it for free. And then of course if if you have if let's say you have H let's say you're paying for HBO somewhere and that is not one of the places that you can get uh HBO Max free, but you can download HBO Max on something or something that you have, then you might as well just switch over to HBO Max because everything is on. It's one of those deals where I believe every single thing that's on HBO is on HBO Max. It's just not everything that's on HBO Max is on HBO. So HBO Max would be if you could only own one, HBO Max would be the one that you'd want because it has everything that HBO has plus all those other things in the in in, in the catalog that's the, that they're rolling out that they did roll out with already. So. But but again, until I have a place to be able to watch it, it makes no point. I mean, it's no point in me like. Yeah, I should be able to get it. Like I said, Optimum Optimus, because of Altice and everything, they made the, those deals were already done with, uh, with HBO Max with WB there. One, uh, so they those services will be able to. But that's your provider. You you will be able to get HBO Max free. The thing is. Yeah, unless I want to stream it, stream it on my computer right now. My phone is the only other thing where I, the, my phone is the only thing I have currently I could download the app because my tablets are, are Kindles. Hmm. So that's just still still the still the Amazon problem. Anything else we want to <laughs> we want to do to do? We, we rambled on nicely. Yes, but, uh, I, I I have two more. I have two Arkillo questions that maybe you sure. know the answers to, and then we can get out of here. Uh, first, does Arkillo still have the ring the Weaponer made him, the kind of shitty one that fizzles out randomly? That is a good... That is a very good question. I'm going to... Cause, see, here's... My natural temptation was first to say yes, because he eventually... Because I think we didn't we get the explanation that it really was him questioning himself that made the rings... That made the ring shit. Yes, but I don't know if he, he, it ever came up outside of the New Guardians book. But the reason why I was leaning... T- and then I was leaning towards no, because I think it was Archillo's ring that was taken in Godhead. I think he was the ring... He was the sacrificial lamb once again, I think, in Godhead and lost his ring, but he probably would have gotten it back. <clears throat> that's the thing... That's the thing I don't remember. He's so... It may very well be the same ring, but that's yeah. I'm not. I can't bet the farm on it. But if if he got the same ring back that he had in Godhead, then I'm gonna say he probably had the same. It's it might very well be the same, the same Sinestro core. All right, because I'm because I kind of wasn't sure because of my my other question. Does Arkillo like Sinestro or hate Sinestro? Because depending on which way that's going right now. He could have got a new Sinestro core ring, because like the big benefit of the the Weaponer one is that it was off the grid from Sinestro's stuff. I think Arkillo, <laughs> no matter what issues Arkillo has with Sinestro, I think ultimately he is loyal. Hmm. He is, you know, he was set up to be, you know, obviously the the anti Kilowog uh, to uh, Kilowog to you know, Sinestro core's Kilowog. 
I think Arkillo is he's loyal to Sinestro and Sinestro's goals, even if he doesn't always understand them. Or and even I mean, it doesn't mean that. Obviously, a very good story could be told where Arkillo just says, "Hey, up yours," because the fact that he, Lord knows he's been he's been put on the chopping block so many times by Sinestro was not even funny. That you know he's. The Sinestro, so loyalty is a one-way street. But part of why Sinestro probably psychologically does that is because he knows at the end of the day, Arkillo is going to come back when he needs him. Yeah. If he, if he, all he has to do is say the right thing or make his case to Arkillo, and Arkillo is loyal, and and ultimately believes in Sinestro, and probably Sinestro's vision, but more he believes in Sinestro and feels loyalty to Sinestro. So I don't think. I don't think he hates Sinestro. I think I think he gets confused by Sinestro. I think he doesn't like being manipulated or taking the punishment physically and psychologically that he does multiple times for defending the Sinestro ideal, whether it's like against Mongol or whether it's even, you know, standing up to Sora when Sora, you know, before Sora, you know, became <laughs> became uh, Sinestro Sinestro not eyes mm-hmm. that. When Sora didn't seem to really be get, going going along with what the Sinestro Corps was supposed to you know, be about, that it was Arkillo who was trying to champion, you know, the ideals. So I think he's still ultimately loyal to and Sinestro, and he does he does not hate. I'll go with that. It just seemed weird to like see like it's it's like he keeps going back and forth on it because like like it's like is it's like oh he's he's been disenfranchised he's he's disenchanted by Sinestro going back to the Green Lanterns but then he's like it, then he's back to being a, like a general in the Sinestro Corps but all over here he was he changed the oath to be Arkillo's might and not Sinestro's might but then over here it's like it's it's like zigzagging all over the place so it's like do they do they want to actually have him break off and be do his own thing, or do they just want him to think about it and then go back? It's I don't know, it was it was a little a little confusing. It could be. I mean, we've we talked about this before. It, we we have it, that it could be. There's interesting stories that could be told with Arkillo as far, especially if you know whether he's teamed up with Saint Walker or even teamed up with Guy or whatever. There's stories to be told bigger because we know, and this is one of the things Colin Bottom was good at, is that there's a lot more depth underneath the surface of Arkillo than than, than 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 meets the eye. You would think that there's not much that he's just a one-trick pony, but then you go back to his origins, you know, his people. That you know, there's kind of like the the religious side, and then there's the killing, the killer side. So, so both of those aspects are in him, and there's so that means there's also some depth below the, that. It isn't just you know, maniacal and and just bloodthirsty and things like that with Arkillo. So, it it would be nice to see somebody pick you know pick up that and hey, Colin Bunn, come back and do that Arkillo Saint Walker miniseries. Sign me up right now. <laughs> Okay, that was a nice conversation about Sinestro or something. <laughs> I know. Well, we may we may have to phrase it quite a little differently. It was just a general conversation about Green Lantern with a with a common thread of Sinestro. <laughs> you know who likes AV right, sitcoms? Dan- Sinestro. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dan. So, so here's your chance. Push, push your, 
Push. You got me curious. Your your white lantern. Peddle my wares. I, so your wares. So I I tried going back to podcasting like last year or something, and I did it for a little while, but then realized like ah, I'm having trouble going home again. I've I've spent like a few years now making like anime YouTube like analytical stuff, and I really like that format. And as far as I could tell. There were no Green Lantern YouTube channels that dealt specifically in, like, w- really, like, well-researched and, like, like just analytical stuff. And I know, like, Blog of Oa and LanternCast both have channels, but they're more in the, like, kind of product review kind of space. So I decided, like, much in the same way Jim wanted to listen to a Green Lantern podcast but couldn't find one, so he made one, I decided... You know, there's no Green Lantern YouTube like thing that really delves into this stuff and why we love it so much. So I'm going to make that. So the channel is called Mosaic Comics, and the the actually the first there's two videos up there right now. The first one was actually inspired by a conversation I had last time I was on here when I I I said at the time that you know I like Simon Baz and Chad. Chad, in the most uh, disappointed dad voice possible, said, why? <laughs> Explain yourself. And I I really couldn't on the spot. So I decided to, like, you know what? Let me just sit down and just, like, get ev- all my thoughts out onto, pa- onto paper, quote-unquote. And, uh, and that is the first. There's a 10-minute video on this channel right now called, uh, called uh, Simon Baz, Self-Doubt and Cultural Fear that just lays out everything that I think is great about the character, as well as why Jeff Johns created this character in the first place. And finding that out was an enlightening experience because I learned things about the Jeff Johns run in general that I had no idea about. And the second video up there is the one that I referenced before, which is, which was me going through every single appearance of a White Lantern ring ever and kind of unpacking what can it do, what things should not be considered its abilities because it's being influenced by these outside sources, why can Kyle do this thing, and is it because of his ring or the nature of how it's created versus how other White Lantern rings are created, is it a limit of him as a person, etc., and it's the title is the white lantern is a confusing mess <laughs> and it is and i i have I've, I've been posting every every uh sunday because i my my original idea was i'm going to stockpile a whole bunch of these and then i'm going to start releasing them on the 80th anniversary because at the time i thought that was in july and then <laughs> The middle of May, DC tweets, oh, it's it's the 80th anniversary today. I'm like, son of a bitch. Okay, well, here we go. <laughs> I'll, I'll be ready for the 81st anniversary. Yeah, so <laughs> and so I so I decide, all right, um, I'll post, I'll start this today. I'll post them once a week. So it's, they're coming out every Sunday. So far, these ta- things take a while to make. So I'll I'll be missing days eventually, but um. Missing weeks eventually. But the third video is also done and ready to go. It is all about Kyle Rayner's story arc through the Omega Men 
uh, 12-issue series from a few years ago. It actually just came out in hardcover uh, a few weeks ago. And it makes the case that even if you even if you don't care at all about the Omega Men as characters or a concept, and even if you don't generally like your uh, your superhero comics to have like like political messages in them, which this absolutely does. I think what I think the story Tom King crafted here is one of the the largest and most significant pieces of character development that, that Kyle Rayner has ever had. And I, because it's in a side book, I don't know if it's ever going to come up again, but I hope to God it does because this is a story that has completely changed the way I look at Kyle Rayner as a character and his entire career as a lantern. And if you're not going to read it, I hope you'll at least take the 10 minutes to listen to me talk about it. So that is go to YouTube, type in mosaic comics and look for the green lantern logo. <laughs> I found it. So I will try to post, I will remember to post a link in the description. Thank you. No problemo. Um, I guess I'll go through the general usual closing in our, our first officially numbered Chadless episode. <laughs> Eat it, Chad. Oh, Chad. Oh, Chad. Um, get better, Chad. Get better. Uh, yeah, so 708 Lantern is the voicemail. Please leave us a voicemail. Uh, lanterncast at gmail.com. Website, of course, is lanterncast.com. We are on iTunes. Apple Podcasting, Apple Podcasts, or Podcasting, whatever it's called <laughs> now. I don't have my notes. I'm winging it, so I blew it. Uh, uh, but yeah, so whichever platform you listen to us on, please leave us a positive review. Facebook and Twitter, you can use hashtag GOcast to locate us on those. As far as what the next episode's going to be, that's uh, that's a story for another day. Because I was lucky enough that I had two episodes planned, counting the one that the the, the, the the Lantern Cast classic that I did, and lucky enough, Dan volunteered to come on, so that was fun. But yeah, we'll definitely have to do this again. Oh yeah. Uh, but as but as far as next episode, I don't know. Maybe I can finally <laughs> rattle the cage to get Jim, so we can finally do pre-birth, since that's way, way, way overdue. I mean, I'm pretty sure we could get another two and a half hours out of the fact that as of a week ago, Daryl Banks had exactly 2,814 Twitter followers. <laughs> yeah, really? it, I mean, it's up. it's gone up to 2,850 now, but for one magical moment, he had exactly our sector. He had 2,814 <laughs> Twitter followers. As he kept rejecting people. <laughs> Gotta keep it at 21. <laughs> I mean, I think that's the point where you take a screenshot and then delete your account forever. But we don't think Daryl was. Daryl wouldn't do oh, that. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely not. Mm-hmm. Us, on the other hand, I don't know. <laughs> so, I think that's it for tonight. So, good night, everybody. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Anytime.